Hi, it's Bob from Royal Spa. Soaking in a hot tub full of Epsom salts is the absolute best way to minimize everyday aches and pains. And we know all about Epsom salts at Royal Spa. Royal Spa hot tubs are the only hot tubs on the market that can safely and effectively use Epsom salts. Made right here in Indiana, Royal Spa hot tubs are the highest quality hot tubs on the market. Visit any one of our three Indianapolis locations or visit royalspa.com. Ah, Royal Spa. So I tried Jimmy Cook. Just so people know, this has not always been the case with me. I have taken this show, and now Eddie's going to disagree with me here, maybe rightly so, but I've taken this show as my new lease on, well, actually, a couple years ago I got one anyway, but in terms of like the new lease of my professional career, I'm like, or new chapter, I'm like, you know what? The days of like the super intense and irritable Jake are over with, right? Like I try to be, I try to make sure on this show that it's, honestly, it is important to me that anybody listening to this show has fun with it. Sports radio should be fun, right? Agreed. It should be fun. It should be, I think for most people, and this is what I've learned, I haven't always been this way. And I'm not saying that I am always this way. I'm not saying that I'm going to be this way every day. But for the most part, my, and I have no more creative control over this show than, than you guys as the president and the CEO of the company and, and our bosses, but, but my thought has been, if people are nice enough, kind enough, compassionate enough to allow us into their car, into their living room, into their office over the course of the day, then that means that essentially we are kind of guests of theirs as opposed to the listeners being guests of ours. And so as a result of that, you try to do, when you go over to somebody's house, you try to be a fun guest. You're engaging, you take your shoes off, make sure you don't get anything dirty, you don't start fights at the party, etc. Now there are exceptions to anything, right? Always. So my point being, today on the program, it is not my intention in any way, shape, or form to start fights or arguments. I think we've all been there, done that, heard that. It it gets tired quickly, right? I sense a butt coming. And yet, I did have somebody, (laughs) I had somebody say to me, you say butt too much. So, and yet, today we have on the program, Eddie Garrison lined up today's show now we're gonna have ej speed at 12 30 correct eddie doug bull is gonna join us at 1 30 but sandwiched in between the middle eddie tell me who it is that we're gonna have on the show uh, his name's eric edholm he does work for nfl.com and uh he got a lot of blast with some people and fans locally because of him ranking the colts 28th in his recent power rankings so here is my challenge is the wrong word but my approach going into this it is not my intention to have eric as a guest on our show while we are then the guests in the company's homes to to start picking fights right nobody wants the guy that you invite to the party that starts picking fights correct but i have to admit i did look at the power rankings and i don't buy into power rankings i don't really understand what the purpose of them at week 3 of the nfl season truth be told except for that Content. it allows us to talk about something and we're talking about it on a radio show in indianapolis so mission accomplished content. right content yep 
But he has the Colts below, for example, the Houston Texans. Well, hasn't that already, at least for now, been temporarily settled? You would think. They they played one another, correct? They did. Did one team kind of control the game over the other? It felt that way. They, he has the Colts below the Minnesota Vikings, who have yet to win a game, right? Correct. He has the Colts below. I'm trying to think. There was another one and two team in there that I'm like, wait, really? I don't have the voice to do it, so Eddie, you'll have to use the Chris Berman liner. So I'm gonna. I think it's our responsibility not to pick a fight with Eric, but at least when he's on to be like, hey man, like explain this to me like I'm a third grader. Yeah, there, there was one other team I think Eddie that he he did have in front of the Colts, if I'm not mistaken. There it is. There it is. 27th, 1 and 2, Las Vegas. Yeah, I mean, the Raiders actually, I'll I'll, I'll at least say, feel competent, right? But still, um, he's going to join us at 1 o'clock. And so, is Josh McDaniels really? I think it's the first time. Credit to Eric. Well, Devontae Adams (laughs) is, right? Yes, yeah. Credit to Eric, though. I think it's the first time I've ever actually looked at power rankings because I just have never really bought into that. Um, But nonetheless. Uh, he's going to join us at 1 o'clock, and then EJ Speed at 1230. Uh, one public service announcement aside from, and I'm thrilled by this, a friend of mine that works for the United States Postal Service. You ready for this? And it's not Carl Malone. A friend of mine that works for the United States Postal Service sent me the following picture. I don't even know if I'm legally allowed to share this, but I'm going to anyway. Dangerous waters, right? Internal memo. Ooh. For postal workers, internal memo for postal workers. If Eddie wasn't back riding on the board, I'd have him run the breaking news sounder. An internal memo from the United States Postal Service. Be aware of fallen leaves. They can be present a slip, trip, fall hazard, especially when wet. That is an official bulletin When's it dated? from the United States Postal Service. When's it dated? Uh, it doesn't have a date oh, on it. Man. How key is that? The United States Postal Service. So my public service announcement is not about that, but rather about this to begin the show. And that is, if you are driving south on Capitol, I did not know this, but uh, on Capitol, southbound, just before you go over Fall Creek, they've got it like basically temporarily closed. And so if you if you come down... If you're coming southbound and you go over, kind of over the bridge, so I guess it's actually just south of Fall Creek, you go over the bridge and it's one lane, <laughs> right? There are no, there's no exits basically. And if you get stuck, as I did, you're sitting there, there is nowhere to go. Wait, but, but you're here though. Well, thank you. <laughs> there was one orange barrel that was serving as kind of a buffer to an open where you would normally park on the side of the road and there was one slight opening that led to a one-way coming westbound which i turned into a one-way eastbound nice to get to illinois to then take a left and go back up and then around a meridian and south respect did anybody follow you did you happen to look in the rear view? that is a good question i think the no i think other people probably were <laughs> dispatching the police and or taking pictures of me for social media <laughs> but anyway uh good night last night for you jimmy anything exciting um, not really. Ton of rain. I'm, I'm assuming it was all around central Indiana, but a lot of heavy rain in the Carmel Zionsville area. I had a soccer game up there that wound up getting canceled. So not a ton, not a ton of excitement in the cookhouse last night.
How about you? Eddie, uh, what did I do last night? I went to the gym. Um, Got stretched out? I didn't get stretched this time. Bob, my physical therapist, is like, hey, I can do a stretch at 5.30. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to take the week off from stretching this week because um, actually I have a lot going on the last, the second part of the week here. I'm going tonight to speak to you guys, alma mater, um, Rich Nye. Your guys? Or, yes, I'm sorry, Eddie, Eddie's, Eddie's, yeah, Eddie's, Eddie's guys. I okay. always think, Jimmy, that you're a UND guy. My sorry. apologies. I know you're an no, who's guy. Yep. Um, I'm going to UND tonight to speak to Rich Nye's class. Um, you know, you did that when I was in his class, his first time teaching it. Really? Yes. How bad was it? Be honest. Was it boring? No. Did you take a picture? Get an autograph? He doesn't anything? remember a no. single thing mm-hmm. that I said. I do remember part of it. Do you really? Yes. Were you drunk? No. <laughs> okay. Were you drunk later that night? No. That's more impressive that you would remember it if that was the case. Yeah. Um, so how many different people did they have come in and speak to your class? Um... I think he had like s- between six and eight, I believe, that year. So it a good amount. Where did Jake rank? Oh, <laughs> not, your, not in terms hey, of his performance. Hey Eric, but in what's terms your of power the, ranking? <laughs> exactly. We're going. Well, I'll go third. Okay. Who was who were first and second? First and second. Uh, I have to remember all everyone that we had. Gee, um, you just blanketly I'm, placed. I'm third, third behind place. unmemorable people. Thanks. <laughs> you remember me, but not the others. That's cool. Uh, I think we had Matt speak once. Taylor. Uh, and then we also had somebody with the Colts PR staff, I believe, speak as well. I think it was Christian Edwards. Are you just remembering those people, or are those no, who are one no, and two ahead no, of Jake? No, one and two. Okay. Yeah. Was it because of the Colts flair? Is that why? Probably. Were you starstruck? No. So what? What was it that that put them above me? Is the power ranking? Their cologne so wasn't were, as strong. That's right. <laughs> so uh, at my that cologne time, smells good. At that time does, in college, does, I had does. I hadn't made. I still don't to this day have a fully understanding of what I want to do for a living. Uh, and I didn't know if I wanted to go like that the play by play route or if I wanted to go like the sports PR route or anything. So I just found those two more interesting. But you rank third because you were able to hit on the uh the acknowledgement that we need to include diversity within our uh while we were young of doing like T V, radio, newspaper, whatever. And um not be afraid to try new things. Very okay. impactful on young Eddie's By the life. way, you guys do have the misfortune of being the first people that I see every day. So the cologne is stronger when you first see me. No doubt about it. There's to be clear I no mean this genuinely. It. There's never been a point where I've been like, man, Jake's just had got it too strong today. I need uh, to go. I've out had of the that room. happen with. I mean, with probably just not myself, but coworkers for sure. Fair. You, Considering you know, how many bottles you have, there's a good chance that happens at some point. We've yet to cross that, that bridge. Hey, I want to talk about yesterday. I mentioned this, and we didn't really get into it. Um, I do expect sometime in the next couple of weeks that Chad Buchanan, who is a really good guy, general manager for the Indiana Pacers, I think he's going to join us in studio um, before camp begins. But yesterday, um, he talked with the local media, and there is an interesting situation going on with Buddy Heald. And let me backtrack to kind of set the scene before we hear from Chad Buchanan about this. Buddy Heald was obviously acquired in the trade that brought Tyrese Halliburton here and Domas Sabonis out to um, Domas Sabonis, and I believe Jeremy Lamb was part of that deal too. But the thought was that Buddy Heald would be when he came here, it was like, oh, he's a salary match. And for those that are not familiar, in the NBA, when you make a trade, you, when you make a trade for players, you have to bring back, I believe it's like 90% the salary of what you're sending back or sending out. So when Buddy Heald was acquired, the thought process was 
that what was happening there was that he was a throw-in player to to get the salaries to match up. Now, I think the Pacers thought Buddy Heald is a good player and is an elite-level outside shooter, which is obviously a skill set in the NBA that any team covets. What I think the Pacers did not fully expect or anticipate was the level of leader that Buddy Heald would be. And I don't just mean in terms of like, you know, coming in and giving rah-rah speeches. One of the things about Buddy Heald, I'm not at practice. I've been to practice, but I'm not at practice every day. I admit that. But I'm around it somewhat with the Pacers or just, you know, follow it pretty closely. And when they, especially like on road trips in the areas where there are no cameras around, Buddy Heald is just the kind of personality that I think most people like to have at work. The guy at work that like always kind of knows when to to lift somebody up or crack a joke when things are the most tense and people are starting to, to it's getting uncomfortable in the meeting and he's the guy. You know, there's always that guy in the meeting that at the end of the meeting, the boss is like, any questions? And everybody's reaching down to kind of grab their backpack. And then one guy's like, uh, yeah, I do have a question. Uh, in terms of, and you're like, dude, really? Come on. Like, we we're just getting out of here. But then you also have that person, like when you're in a meeting, things are kind of tense and awkward and uncomfortable. And there's the one guy that has, that can add the levity to the room that he makes one little comment that's perfectly timed and it lightens the mood for everybody. And now all of a sudden it's a conversational meeting and everybody feels good about it. That's what Buddy Heald does for Indiana. And... But he is in a contract year, Jimmy, as you know. He is a free agent at the end of this year. So now you have that balancing act, not unlike what we see on 56th Street, of do you just simply write it out or do you honor him by giving him a, an extension and thanking him for what he brings to the table, but knowing, Jimmy, the reality of the fact that the latter years of that extension for Buddy Heald, he is going to be at an age and probably a production level that doesn't equate to or match what you're going to get out of him in year one of it. Is door one of that scenario trading him, or is it letting him walk in free agency? Because if it's I, not, then I would go door three, which is move on from him if you can't Clearly letting out the him contract. walk in free agency is your last option. Yeah, that should be Because you want to get correct. something, You need right? something back for him. We stressed this last week, two weeks ago. I like Buddy Heald, the person and the player. I think he's been a very valuable piece to the Pacers in their rebuild. There's no doubt he is able to space and stretch the floor in a way that would be hard to replace in the immediate. Not to say they wouldn't be able to do it in the long term in being able to find maybe not as high level of volume shooter as Buddy, but somebody that's still able to be a big time shot maker and play his role at the two. But if he wants money that is paying him for three more years based not on what he can still bring to the table, but what he's done in the past, which is how contracts usually work in most sports leagues, as you all know, especially in the NBA, you need to have a line that you will not cross if you're the Pacers. And it's not a, it's personal against Buddy. It's just, it's business. And if you can't find that middle ground on a deal that is not going to make it harder for you to continue to build in critical years of where this team could be going because you're mapping out of what the Pacers could look like in two to three years. And that's assuming that you get big strides in development from Jairus Walker, that you get big strides in development further from Tyrese Halliburton, that Bennett Matherin is able to be the player that you drafted and be. At that point, if you have three high-caliber players, you want to be able to spend elsewhere while worrying about keeping care of your own. 
and a buddy healed long-term contract that will not age well, if it's a three-year deal worth what he probably wants as a player, you need to move on and accept that fact if you cross that line. Easiest way probably to put it into viewable terms for Pacer fans that have been around here a while. In 1998, and for those of you that were not around in 1998, if you've watched The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary, then you know this. The 1998 Indiana Pacers were the closest team of any era of the Jordan dominance to unseating Chicago. They took them to Game 7, and if it weren't for 39 fouls committed by Scottie Pippen that were not whistled, they defeat Chicago and they go to the 98 Finals against Utah and probably win it. It was the Pacers' best team, was 1998. In 1998, a key integral part of that team was Chris Mullen, who the Pacers had traded Eric Dampier for Chris Mullen. Chris Mullen gave them an elite-level outside shooter that stretched defenses, that pulled things away a little bit from... Reggie Miller, but more notably from Rick Smith's on the inside, and he was a legit weapon. Jalen Rose's emergence was also big, okay? But in 2000, the Pacers went to the finals, and what people forget in 2000 is that Chris Mullen was on that roster, but Chris Mullen was basically on the bench at that point because Jalen Rose had emerged and risen to the point where Chris Mullen, who in 2000 was making $3.5 million, which was a lot for you know 23 years ago, Chris Mullen was on the bench because the Pacers had traded for him and he was an elite level player in 98, but he was on a deal that was expiring in 2000. They obviously didn't extend him in 98 because they knew Jalen Rose was rising and they knew that by 2000, he was not going to be the same level of producer. That's exactly where theoretically the Pacers are right now with Buddy Heald. This is Buddy Heald's 1998 season perhaps, but Jarris Walker, and as you talked about, you know Andrew Nimhard. There are other guys. Maybe they're not the level of outside shooter, but there are other guys whose minutes are rising. And thus, in year three, say if you were to extend Buddy Heald, you're going to have a guy that you're paying a lot of money to that's not giving you the same level of production as at the time in which you acquired him. But here's Chad Buchanan on where the talks stand right now with the reports that Buddy Heald is interested in a long-term deal and that he would be interested then in not signing you know, something if he feels he's undervalued and he could walk in free agency. Where things stand from Chad Buchanan. I would say Buddy's somebody that we love having on our team. Um, we want him on our team this year. You know, the business of basketball comes into play at times. You know, we've had talks with him about an extension. And, you know, those talks are, you know, at a halt, I'd say, right now. But that's not to say that they're done. Um, we'd like to have Buddy with us. We have no intention of trying to, to move Buddy. Um, but it's also our job to listen if opportunities come that helps us improve the team. Now, the question is, that's the Pacers' standpoint. We'd like to talk to him and see what happens, but we're not, you know, it depends on where Buddy is. So now, Chad Buchanan, the real question becomes, that's the Pacers' standpoint, but Chad Buchanan, illuminate for us from your understanding where Buddy Heald stands on things. Buddy loves being a Pacer. You know, Buddy loves, you know, playing basketball wherever he's at. I think he wants to be in a situation where he can be somewhere long-term, which, you know, all players do, and... Um, it's got to be the right situation for both the team and for Buddy, um, both playing and contract-wise. And but we do, you know, we're trying to, you know, find a, a common ground on this with Buddy, and we want him with us, like I said. And I think Buddy's going to come in, be professional, and be excited to be part of this team. He loves playing with this group. He loves playing for Coach Rick. Okay, so what that is is, let me paraphrase that for you. 
I'm going to paraphrase that to this. Uh, from the time he's gotten here, Buddy's done everything we asked, and he's been a really good uh, player and seems to really like his teammates. It's still a business in the end, and you know I think Buddy probably is aware of that, but he wants to get his end in terms of the money, and from a business standpoint, we need to do what's best for us as a franchise. But in the time being, uh, we don't know for certain, but we certainly hope that uh, because he's under contract, Buddy's going to be the same kind of player for us this year, even though we both know the possibility is exists that he's not going to be here past that. Now, the other side of it, Jimmy, is this. Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton, I think any time that you, in a work situation, get paired or partnered with a colleague, even if you didn't, even if you were not the best of friends or whatever else, and you basically are divided into like group projects and it's like, okay, the two of you are going to work together. Nine times out of 10, you become closer to that person, right? Nine times out of 10. Like being a part of a company. That's right. Like being the president of the company, right? Yep. Camaraderie. And so I don't dispute or question that Buddy Heald and Tyrese Halliburton were probably really close to one another anyway in Sacramento. But when you get traded together, you know, Eric Montross, when he, the former Lawrence North star, when Eric Montross was playing for, I believe it was Detroit. I, th- I think it was Detroit. He was going to, back in those days, the NBA team still flew commercial. Montross was flying. They had a, they had a road trip in Detroit or, or where, I, I, I'm again, we're just going to say Detroit for the sake of argument. But he gets to the airport. He's riding up the escalator to go to where their their plane flies out. And Jerry Stackhouse is riding down an elevator. And he go and they're teammates, right? And Stackhouse looks at Montrose as they pass each other on the elevators going up and down and goes, hey, man, we just got traded, so meet me down at the bottom of the elevator. We got to actually fly to Dallas. <laughs> Montrose is like, wait, what? So he, he gets he goes up, goes right back down the escalator. He's like, no, what did you say? And Stackhouse is like, yeah, man, we they just traded both of us together. Now, that automatically, because so then Jerry Stackhouse and Eric Montrose now have to like go and it's like, hey, man, like I'll go get the bags, you do this, whatever. You bond together a little bit in that situation and then you go and you land and the dust settles and you're probably calling each other on the phone like, man, what the hell just happened? Like, what do you think? What, like, what in the world? So there's a, a connection there, right? So automatically, Buddy Hill's going to have that with Tyrese Halliburton. But I think they already had an existing close relationship regardless. But still, that's going to exist, right? But then you throw in, Jimmy, when people ask the question of, do the Pacers have to almost prioritize Buddy Heald to keep Tyrese Halliburton happy? Now, you know the answer to that, right? The answer is no. You know why? A, it's a business. And B, you can't let one play. You can let Tyrese Halliburton have a say if, as respect to a star player, but you need to trust your branch of the building over one individual player in team building. They just gave Tyrese Halliburton $52 million a year. Yeah. That, I mean, that, yeah. So that's settled. He ain't going anywhere. Where's he going to go? Sure. He, signed, he just signed a multi-year supermax contract I will so so what difference does it make now whether or not he approves of every roster move you make i, and don't, I don't mean that as a slight to him that's the reality where's he gonna go? i mean look at like there are prime examples in the nba of not needing to cause unnecessary drama and what could happen i don't know that tyrese halliburton's at that point but 
just because they signed the contract does not mean this is permanent home. And the well, Pacers ha- you, I mean, you know that. Of course, but what I'm saying is, if if Tyrese Halliburton was a free agent at the end of the year, along with Buddy Hield, there'd be more pressure. That's a different sure. conversation, sure. Because you're like, we are trying to do everything we can. Like we just found out that Tyrese Halliburton loves driving Capitol Avenue every single day, so we need to make sure that we get in, tar- <laughs> to, in touch with the city of Indianapolis and we tell them, look, we realize that like 90 percent of the streets in this city you've absolutely lost control of, but make sure that you control Capitol Avenue because Tyrese Halliburton likes to drive down it, and we've got to keep him happy until he signs, right? Sure. But he signed. So, so those things now aren't as important. In today's NBA, though, this is from Tyrese Halliburton's perspective, hypothetically. I have no idea. I'm not talking to Tyrese. I know as much as those that are seeing him on uh, on his streams do at this point. All I'm saying is, if I'm Tyrese Halliburton, and let's say I have that bond with Buddy Heald, and let's say I feel like he helps us in our growth from the next three years of a Buddy Heald contract, if the Pacers go the other way, I'm not throwing a tantrum about it, but I am making a note about it. I understand that. I understand that, but I do think, and it's a fair point, Jimmy, but we're early enough. That the contract hasn't even kicked Correct. in yet, Correct. right? Correct. So there are plenty of chances to make good on that. Correct. I mean, we know this much, okay? What we know is Paul George left here because Paul George felt like the franchise did at his request, didn't do enough to honor his request of bringing in talent for him. Not maintaining, but bringing in players from the outside, right? He felt like Anthony Davis wanted to be a pacer. I mean, come on. And that they they didn't even make like an overture or make a phone call for it and that that was a slight to him, okay? So he got unhappy and he wanted – in reality, Paul George wanted to play in Los Angeles. Understandably, he's from Southern California. I get it, right? But at the beginning of a contract, in other words, let's just say for the sake of discussion that the Pacers tell Buddy Heald, thank you so much. It's been great. There are lovely parting gifts for you at the end of your contract at the end of this year. And he plays out that contract. Tyrese Halliburton may very well be disappointed, upset, and even offended by that. I don't dispute that. But the one thing that cures all is winning. And Tyrese Halliburton's $52 million per year contract kicks in next season, at which point a an Andrew Nimhard is more developed, a Benedict Matherin is more developed, a Jarris Walker is developing, and if all of a sudden they go from being a 35-40 win team with Buddy Heald, which is credit to Buddy Heald that that's where they are right now, but then if all of a sudden they're now a 50-55 win team with young players rising and other assets that continue to build around and Tyrese Halliburton is starting in the all-star game because he's on the second place running Indiana Pacers, then that all of a sudden, that mutes that out a little bit, right? We are still in the training session of the long marathon that will be the length of his contract. There's still plenty of opportunities, not just for winning to solve it, but for the Pacers to add more weapons around him to make up for it. He hasn't even gone to the gym yet to have Bob stretch him, right? That's exactly right. Uh, By the way, speaking of marathons, marathons, of course, are marathons and not a sprint. But if you're in a sprint, you need speed. We have exactly that next. EJ Speed joins us. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, 
jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Eventually, they mentioned speed in here. <laughs> this song is terrible, isn't it? Awful. Horrible. What, what year is this? 99, probably? Is that a guess? Do, do we get to 96. the chorus where they, where they sing speed over and over and over? We're getting there. Here it is. Now, right here, right here. There we go. Finally, the payoff. It was worth it, I think. 96. That old, huh? 96. Uh, EJ Speed going to join us here coming up in just a couple of minutes. I, Jimmy, here, here's my question about EJ Speed, and you feel free to tell me that I'm a moron, right? And I know that when I ask this, 88% of our listening audience is going to go, what a moron. But deep down, 50% are going to go, I kind of wondered the same thing, though. Are you ready? Always. EJ Speed, do we have that soundbite of Gus Bradley talking about EJ Speed, Eddie? Let's play that real quick, and then I'll tell you my question coming off of it. This is Gus Bradley, defensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts, talking about linebacker EJ Speed. Well, he, he, he makes plays for us. You know, when he's on the field, something's going to happen. 95% of the time, it's something really good. Even the, the critical play on fourth down, you know, he adjusted. He had great instincts, great awareness where Flowers was, you know, adjusted and played accordingly. So he's a guy that's is making quite a few plays for us and big plays. You know, he did that last year, too. And I think that's why you saw this year some of the things we're doing, trying to find creative ways of getting him on the field even more more so my question is this we're trying to find ways to get him on the field even more if he makes plays 95 percent of the time he's on the field then why is he not on the field from the get-go eddie what was the number you gave me from percentages for him snap count wise uh he played 50 percent of the snaps okay again in baltimore so a lot of the reason i would say so he makes a play 95 percent of that 50 percent Correct. If we don't makes him play the, that makes 0%, him in the upper quartile of the upper quartile. That's, that's exactly right, which is rare air, right? <laughs> Rarified, yes. I mean, so take, for example, and I know, shocked, he went straight to the Chiefs. Of course he did. I just was thinking about average snap counts and what are guys around the league usually doing. I know they play different positions, so perhaps you're relying on a defensive tackle more so than you would a linebacker from a snap count percentage, but... There were times where a year ago, take for example, Chris Jones, 70% of the snap, 63% of the snap, 62% of the snap. So I would assume fatigue. I would assume balance and stamina, not just schematically based. I would assume what, what a lot of that is keeping him fresh. What percent of the snaps is Shaquille Leonard taking, Eddie? Do we have that? Let me pull it back up real quick. I have it here. I just got to find it. Because that's the same position, same team. So it gives you a more fair barometer. Shaq played 69% of the snaps against Baltimore. Okay. So what I'm saying is like, and I get it. I mean, it's a schematic thing, but what ways do they devise? How do they come up with ways to get EJ Speed on the field more often? Because it does feel like he has, and Shaquille Leonard is a great player, undoubtedly, but it does feel like EJ Speed has like the early Shaquille Leonard element to him. And the fact that when he's out there, and maybe it's because he's only out there 50% of the time, right? So it does feel like a higher percentage because he's out there fewer snaps, which means there are fewer opportunities for plays where he doesn't make an impact. But 
it does feel like he is kind of this X factor is such a buzzword and an overused word, but it does feel like he is a guy that when his number is called and he's put out there, he delivers. More often than not, he, he's like an X factor for their defense. You saw it multiple times on Sunday, none bigger than the effectively game-winning defensive stand that he's able to make on Zay Flowers and leading ultimately to Matt Gay's game winner. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those things where a lot of that is on Gus Bradley and where he wants both from a fresh leg standpoint but also different packages and sets from a scheme standpoint that he wants to set for this defense. Um, but I also think, Jake, and we discussed this a little bit in, in the you know show prep for this, it's a great conversation for EJ Speed. Does he feel like he could handle more of a workload? I mean, obviously he's going to say yes, but like, what, where does he want his snap counter, his opportunities to be, or is he happy with where things are at right now? Because when you have a... It's the same reason that people for the last year or so, particularly when he was hurt, call for more Shaquille Leonard on the field or, or missing his ability to change the game because he is a game wrecker and EJ Speed, we've given praise to both Zaire Franklin and Speed for the play they've had on the field, but also the contracts that they're on. They're incredibly value to this team. Uh, this from Greg, by the way, on Twitter. Uh, Jake, please stop apologizing for your takes. It takes away from the validity of your opinions. Say what you believe and believe what you say. I am thrilled to know that somebody thinks that I'm not strong enough in the conviction of what I say because um, more often than not, people are like, dude, you have like, you're totally like unaware of like other thought than your own. So I, I actually appreciate Greg's comment there. You know, honestly, Jake. Real men double down even when their takes are wrong, so I'm a little ashamed that you're you're willing to to, to say that you're wrong. I don't I don't like that. <laughs> That's right. Um, uh, hey Jake, I'd like to be in the company, but I have to disagree with senior management for disparaging cake and the distance. Somebody else said, if you don't like cake, you don't like great music. I didn't say I don't like cake. I just think that song's kind of terrible. Cake is fine. I mean, Jim Gaffigan's got a whole thing about it, right? Like, who doesn't like cake? I, orange fluff cake from Taylor's Bakery, the best you'll ever find. Love it. Absolutely love everything about it. So yesterday we handed out, um, we identified NFL franchises by ice cream flavors with Stephen Holder. Are we going to do that today with cake? Kind of make say, it, say that again? Yesterday you and Stephen and Jimmy were right. identifying NFL franchises and teams this year by flavor of ice cream. <laughs> That's right. Are we going with cake flavors today? There's only, the orange fluff cake at Taylor's Bakery is by far the creme de la creme, pardon the, the pun there. Um if you've never had it, it is the greatest thing ever, right? It's basically an angel food cake, but years ago, uh, it was supposed to have a vanilla frosting to it. And true story, I don't know if, well, this is under the previous ownership of Taylor, so I guess the current owners can't get mad at me for spilling these beans. Um, vanilla beans at that. The the vanilla extract, they had, and I'm talking like in the 40s, so like year, you know, decades and decades and decades and decades and decades ago. The the uh, apparently, legend has it, the cake maker, if you will, for Taylor's Bakery, drank all of the vanilla extract one night because he had a, a bit of an issue. And so then they were ordered to make vanilla iced angel food cake. And he was like, oh, boy, what am I going to do? And he created the 
orange fluff cake, which is an orange frosting as opposed to vanilla frosting because he was out of vanilla extract. Wouldn't you still be upset, though, if you were the person that requested that? Yeah, well, of course you would until you try the orange fluff and you realize it's the greatest thing okay. ever. Uh, joining us now on the program, and I'm happy that he is doing he is doing so. He had joined Kevin and I, as a matter of fact, during training camp, and he is off to the start that we expected for the Colts' season. Linebacker EJ Speed joins us on the show. He has 13 solo tackles so far in the year, including a sack. EJ, how are you? Thanks for the time. I'm doing good. How you guys doing? Uh, we're good. You know what? Here's the thing, EJ. You, you, you probably don't recall it because, you know, hell, I barely do because it was like 7 o'clock in the morning. But the last time we talked was at camp, as I'd mentioned, and I was doing the morning show. And then now that I've moved to the midday show, that means that I'm obviously doing spectacular because I didn't get up at 530 this morning. So there's your answer, right? I mean, you know, I don't know. What time does an NFL player get up? What time did you get up this morning? I actually got up at 530. I had to be in the facility at 6, yo. Good so, Lord. Man. So we on the same page right now. Yeah. <laughs> uh -huh. All right, here's, here's my dumb guy question. And I'm giving you full, even though Gregory uh, – got mad at me saying that I shouldn't apologize for my questions. Maybe I'll apologize for the ignorance of this question, and I'm giving you full permission, EJ, when you hang up the phone to go into the locker room and go, this guy just asked me the dumbest question on radio. Are you ready? All right, cool. cool. I'm going to do it. Uh, Gus Bradley has said the thing about you that he loves is that you make plays 95% of the time that you're on the field, but yet you're only taking 50% of the snaps. What is yeah. it schematically that necessitates you being on the field, and what is holding them back from using you in more situations? Because you do seem to be Johnny on the spot. Uh, just that, I mean, it's not enough positions on the field at linebacker. I mean, Darius is an all-pro linebacker, and Z is playing amazing, and he was a uh, all-pro alternate at one point. So um, it's just that we got a stack room. We one of the best linebacker quarters in the league. So I'm sure if it was a place to have three linebackers on the field at all times and I'm sure they would but it's just not right now so my role is to come in and make plays when uh, the opportunity is given so flippancy aside from that question the thing where I give you a lot of credit and I don't know that people can understand at all times in professional sports the challenge of this but is it a challenge to to be that dialed in when you know, you know, to not be resentful. In other words, to not be like, look, man, I should be out there more often. Da, da, da. To be able to have that kind of focus when your number is called as opposed to focusing on when your number is not. What's the mental uh, approach there? Uh, no, nah, I'm kind of got to just stay in my own lane. I mean, whatever put in front of me, I'm just going to execute it to the best of my ability. Plus, that's just a respect to my linebacking core. I mean, every, we, I mean, we got three starters, and I think Grant Stewart is a guy that can play too. So, I mean, we got four guys that can start on Sunday. So um, it'll be it'll be anybody turn at anybody moment. So um, at this point, it's Darius and Z's turn to be a starter at um, in a nickel package. So uh, if my opportunity come up to be a starter, I mean I wouldn't want anybody else to be behind me being resentful. So it's kind of like a golden rule to it. Our conversation with EJ Speed brought to you by Shelby Materials, the concrete and aggregate experts. EJ, you make effectively the, the game-sealing defensive play, or at least the play that turns the game in favor of the Colts, leading to that Matt Gay field goal, when you're able to break up that pass from Jackson to Flowers on fourth and three. Colts fans hyped about it. Ravens fans crying for a flag. I'm not going to ask you about the penalty itself, because I don't want to get any of us in trouble, but the timing of that has to be something at that speed and in that moment of the game that is probably one of the most difficult things on a football field. How do you time that out as well as you did? Uh, just being instinctive, um, that break, I mean, I practiced that break throughout the offseason in camp and dang there every Wednesday at practice. So 
it wasn't an unnatural break to break down hill on a drag route. I mean, uh, Zay Flowers is in motion. I mean, um, I know that's Lamar's guy, so I'm thinking, and I ha- got to have a situation. He might go to Andrews or Zay, so I just uh, got a lucky pick of the draw and broke down hill on, on Zay Flowers, and I was there for the pass breakup. How much, EJ, I'm curious, as an NFL player, yeah. how many hours a day or week do you spend studying film and or – you know, just game plan of the upcoming opponent away from when you're at the facility. So on your own, take me just take me through like an average day for EJ Speed. Uh, so as soon as I get home, I bust down uh, practice. Just uh, I go through, of course, execution first, just making sure the execution was right. And then I uh, turn to my mistakes. And um, I write down my mistakes. And then um, I write down my mistakes, go through why I should, I write down how I could have, what I could have did different um then i go in and i read and i uh, look over the the alignments and everything like that of the other team and i don't want to give up too much sauce but uh, but yeah uh, i just i look at keys and cues that the teams give away and then um i just pick three or four plays out of that out of that out of that film that if they run this and i'm going to make the play and i hold myself to that standard and practice i got to make that play approach give me this you know what i mean and um and um that's just how it happened. At what point in your career? Sunday and it looks very. Uh, once you take it to Sunday, it just looks natural to you. At what point in your career, EJ? EJ Speed is our guest, by the way, the Indianapolis Colt linebacker, of course. Whether it be North Crawley High School in Texas or Tarleton State in college, you know, at some point you were more physically and naturally gifted than the people you were on the field with, and then the NFL. Obviously, everybody's a great player. So the 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 discipline that you have in terms of preparation, at what point in your career did that match the natural God-given talents that you had where you realized that, in fact, it was a job as opposed to you could just go out and rely on instinct and, pardon the pun, speed? Uh, when I came in with um, with Bobby, Bobby O'Karake, we came in in the same draft class, and Bobby was more of a film guy. He was more of a film guy. He was more of like route reading and all that type of stuff, you know, playing at Stafford and everything like that. He played at a major division one. So they, they uh, demanded that of those guys. So when I got there and, you know, me and Bobby coming up in the NFL together, trying to find our way. And I just noticed that he was doing it. Then Anthony Walker, he was our veteran and he was doing it. So I was like, look, maybe that's the key. So, you know what I mean? So I started, I started getting heavy into my playbook and studying. And then I just found ways that worked for me based on them just pushing me to be, that guy to get inside my playbook and um and study and study film on teams and it just it worked out influential for me throughout my career i'm in year five and um watching film is just normal calling out plays all type of stuff just around the field uh, just around the field and stuff just being able to know splits and everything like that calling out the plays that they can run and just knowing coordinators uh most coordinators in the same family tree as as some big coordinators so uh that works too EJ Speed, nice to have you join us here on Query and Company. EJ, you bring up coordinators. When you signed that extension, you had a sit-down conversation with Colts Media. I believe it was Matt Taylor, and you praised Gus Bradley for his help in your development last year. I've argued that the retention of Gus Bradley was one of the best decisions the Colts made when Shane Steichen came on board. How critical was having Gus Bradley back in the fold to not just your development, but the team as a whole, a second unit underneath Gus Bradley? Uh, it's perfect because Gus doesn't talk much about physical. He talks more about the mental part of the game. He lets you handle the physical part coming in in shape, 
being strong, being fast, doing what you need to do. And then he just focused more on just teaching you um, just certain game plans and then just helping you play faster and smarter. And I respect that from him so much. And that was one of the reasons why I signed back because I feel like that was an element of my game that I needed to be at an all-pro level. EJ, it's a different side of the ball, I realize. EJ Speed is our guest. Um, but we know what kind of talent Anthony Richardson appears that he is going to be in the National Football League. But I have been so impressed, and I want your perspective on this, because I'm not in the locker room, right? I'm not in practices. I've been super impressed when his number has been called at Gardner Minshew's ability to go in there, not sulk over the fact that as a veteran he didn't get that job right away, to understand his role, and then seemingly to be a guy that kind of keeps things loose and is pretty relaxed when he goes out there and plays and can make plays when he needs to. Can you elaborate on when his number is called, kind of the leadership at an important position of Gardner Minshew? Uh, I don't think it's too hard for Gardner to do that just because what Anthony Richardson brings to the to the table with like his poise, his athletic ability, uh, the way he reacts to certain situations as a pro in practice, his mistakes to his – to, to his to his up to to when he's up to when he's down when he's having a bad practice when he's having a good practice he's seen Anthony Richardson go through that so he respected but Gardner Mitchell is a genuine guy just all around he's um he's genuine with the defensive players he's genuine he's the same person every day he come in he goes to work he does he, he's just a pro so um he actually I think that 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 Anthony Richardson kind of in a way like you know like take 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 two um, Gardner just off how he moves around the building and stuff like that, and I think they're good for each other and, and great. To, if Anthony's not playing and AR is in, I think that'll be a great situation. And if AR is playing, I'm sure Gardner will be there to have his back through everything. What quarterback in the league is the most difficult to like with their eyes to be able to predict where they're going? Like which quarterback best masks in a formation or a lineup or an audible? Which one is the one that keeps you the most on your toes? Keep most on my toes? Uh, I would say most of the veteran quarterbacks, most of the guys who've been in the league and, you know, from that eight to – eight to whenever range, they learn, like, you know, they get more comfortable in the pocket and they start looking out. Matthew Stafford actually is a guy that does that. So it'll be it'll be, it'll be be great playing against him because he has the elements of the game too. Now, EJ, last question for you here. Um, so the name of this program is Query and Company, right? <laughs> and what we've had fun doing is, is making everybody that listens to the program or is part of it part of the company, right? Like an employee of the company. So, so we'd like to hire you as an employee of the company. This is all fictional. No money will be exchanged. Um, what, what would you like to be the, I was thinking you could either, either be the director of big hits or the director of speed. Wh- which one would you more prefer to be your title? Uh, can I bring Z along? Oh yeah, absolutely. The can two of you. Yeah. Along. We'd love to have the two of you. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be the director of speed and I'll let Z be the director of big hits. And then we'll just do <laughs> okay. How about this? How, how about this? Zyre Franklin could also be the director of uh, hoagie and hop sandwiches because I know he yeah. likes those too, right? Yeah. I gotta go check my dog out. He got a, a cheesesteak over there. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so last thing then EJ, can we get you to simply say right now, and I'm putting you on the spot. Okay. But I just need you to say, this is EJ speed, the director of speed and you're in the company. You need me to say that? Yeah, 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 yeah. We're gonna and then yeah, we're gonna make a big deal out of this. I'm, I'm gonna have to charge you for that one, dog. Uh, that's, I'm gonna charge you. I'll give you. How about this? I'll get you a Philly and cheese, uh, a Philly steak and cheese sandwich for it. All right, cool. What's the what's the what's the saying again? <laughs> there we go. All right, uh, this is EJ Speed, the director of Speed, and you're in the company. EJ Speed, director of Speed, and you were here now in the company.
There we go. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I have hey. my own little twist to it, though. EJ, oh, I appreciate I like that. that. I appreciate yeah. that. Just like a little ketchup on the steak and cheese. We'll let you go get All your right. sandwich, EJ. We appreciate the time today and look forward to talking to you again. All right, uh, make sure you get my chili, my uh, Philly cheesesteak, too. All, All right. right. I'll get you. Go, go into Hoagie and Hops. We'll put it on me. All right. All right, dog. All right, All right yep. there we go. EJ Speed, the pride of Tarleton State and, of course, North Crawley, Texas, joining us on the program. Uh, Good stuff there. And and here's the thing. The team that he's on in the latest NFL.com power rankings is 28th, and the guy that has them there is going to join us next, and we're going to take issue with it. But I promise it'll be not necessarily like hard hits, right? Soft hits, but hits nonetheless. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Hey, Speed, director of Speed, you were here now in the company. Love it. Love it. Nice job, Eddie, on turning that around quickly, right? MVP. MVP. Okay, so I'm looking here at these, the power rankings. Are you into power rankings, Jimmy? I enjoy jumping around and looking at them as kind of a barometer for what the national media thinks, but I don't put any like real weight into them. I mean, they're conversational fodder, right? Sure. I actually have a question for you that we'll do later. Um about the college football rankings. Okay. Right? Yeah. In terms of not necessarily because I think, you know, the whole like, I think so-and-so is better than so-and-so, you know, that all kind of plays itself out. But I do have a question for you about college football rankings in terms of um, like your blood pressure. I look forward to it. Which we'll get to later. But uh, latest rankings, NFL.com, Colts, I mean, you got the obvious, right? Miami, San Francisco, Kansas City, Philadelphia, Buffalo, one through five. No big surprise. But you got to scroll an awfully long time to get to the Colts. But you don't have to scroll long on the Rolodex to hear from the guy that wrote about it because he joins us next. Thank you. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. You, Eddie, we'll begin with a little breaking news from West 56th Street. In terms of the Colts' practice today, Anthony Richardson, Ryan Kelly both returned to the Indianapolis Colts and have gone through reps. They remain in the concussion protocol. And Eddie Garrison, you were explaining to me that that essentially means that they would have gone through non-contact practice and there would be one more that they need to go through to be officially removed from the protocol. Correct, Correct, yes. A player has to go through a non-contact practice and a contact practice before they can officially clear the concussion protocol and play on Sunday. Okay, so uh, there we go. Anthony Richardson, Ryan Kelly, I would anticipate that means that one, if not both of them, would be obviously trending towards playing against the Rams 
on Sunday. Uh, it will be quite the pillow fight for the Rams because they'll be looking at a team that's in the bottom half, or not even that, like the bottom four of the <laughs> NFL.com power rankings and here to talk about that. And I love the fact, Eric Edholm, and I hope I'm saying your last name correctly, Eric. Yeah. Um, yeah. I applaud and commend the fact that you're willing to be like, you know what? I probably made a lot of Indianapolis mad, so I'll come on and have some fun with it. So kudos to you. We had a little fun with it ourselves. But first off, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm doing all right. Yeah, yeah. I I got plenty of uh, folks hit me up on Twitter. Uh, Most of them, you know, irritated. Obviously, their team's 2-1. and They want to see them a little higher on the list. Uh, Most of them cordial, though, I thought. And, uh, yeah, look, it's never personal with me. I I don't hate any teams. I don't like any – I, I, I say this and people don't believe me, but it's true. And uh, look, if I'm wrong, I'll fix it. That's that's the beauty. I got I got like 13 more cracks at this thing, so I'll uh, I'll do my best. You know? Well, now here's the only one, and, and I'll pick. I'll, we'll start out by me finding exceptions to the rule here in your in your list. Okay, so yeah, I'll give you the opportunity yeah. to expand upon it. Um, yeah. I do get and I understand and respect the fact that despite the record. And the pleasant surprise for people, the reality is the Colts are probably not at this point a top 10 team in the NFL. I get that. Right. Um, nor is it my job necessarily to, to like put on pom-poms for them. But five spots behind the Houston Texans, who they have already beaten. Elaborate. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think obviously it's it's probably the one team that I, that I think people have the biggest argument with, and I think they're probably – onto something uh, may I probably recency bias, but I was really impressed by the Texans on Sunday. I thought they played a, a complete three phase game. Now you guys are obviously saying, uh, did you watch the week before? And you know what, just before you guys called me, I, I rewatched it to make sure I wasn't losing my mind. Texans didn't play great, right? Obviously the Colts kind of took control of that game early, you know, put it on ice. were able to keep, you know, keep it a two score game there with a couple stops at the end. Um, you know, as I always tell people, like, or I say always, I've only been doing it for NFL.com now for, you know, three, four weeks now, but it is the power rankings, not the power standings. And just because you beat a certain team below you on the list, I mean, obviously we know the Colts, you know, beat the Chiefs and last year and, you know, some fluky results happen and all that. I still have to kind of measure the whole body of work. Now, you could also take it further and say, uh, right, Eric, but didn't the Texans get walloped by the Ravens in week one? It's true as well, but boy, I really saw something in C.J. Stroud, and I just I worried at the time that I wrote that. I didn't know, obviously, whether Richardson would play, what the Taylor situation was, you know, whether Kelly would be back. There were a lot of unknowns, too. So I probably bumped Houston up a spot or two higher than they deserved to go, and I probably left the Colts a couple spots lower than they belonged, but Again, it's. I, I just thought Stroud played great. They had a, a three-phase win. The defense took took some strides, and you know they kind of did to the Jaguars in maybe in a more impressive fashion what the Colts did to the Texans. So that may not be a sufficient answer, but you know that's that's kind of how I landed on it. And yeah, last week I regretted the Cowboys, and then they lost. So sometimes these things have a way of kind of self-correcting a little bit. How much of this? And I guess this would obviously kind of take care of itself the further you get into the season. But are we still, if you had to, like, if we were to put truth serum inside of you and then go and, and really look, Eric, like in, at, at inside your mind, right? Which would be terrifying yeah. if you did that to me. But for you, how much realistically do you think that, naturally speaking, 
your rankings get biased at this point in the year by what we anticipate a team to become versus what they are right now? Oh, no question, right? I mean, there's there's off-season bias, right? We got all these these, these narratives and storylines hammered into our brains for, for four months, right? From, from Mr. Irrelevant to the first day of training camp, right? These things become sort of you know, baked in our heads and we, and we play into them. So I'm absolutely sure that I'm, that I'm in some way biased in terms of expectations or like you said, kind of projecting forward. Like, you know, there will be two and one teams currently who pick in the top 10 of the draft or so. I mean, that just that happens every single year, right? We see teams, they get off to encouraging starts, they fail. So that possibility exists. And, yeah, I think probably there was a little bit of a, a sense of, hey, let's not forget this team was 3-2-1 and one last year. Things did fall apart. Was it a crazy confluence of events? Absolutely, right? I mean, it, you don't have seasons like that too often. I didn't think it would carry over. I'm a big fan of, of Shane Steichen, and I love the staff they put together there. I've always believed in, in Chris Ballard's vision of, of how a roster should look. I know the quarterback situation – had been a, a big area of, of concern, but yeah, all those off-season questions kind of lingered in my head. And um, again, I'm not—I don't—I'm not projecting doom and gloom. I'm just saying, like right now, if I had to stack these teams, that's roughly how it would go. And boy, if you look from about, I would say the New England Patriots—I don't know if I had them 18 or 19, somewhere around there—all the way down till the final three on my list: Carolina, uh, Denver, and Chicago. I don't think there's much separating those, you know, dozen or so teams. I really don't. I, I don't think that it's really hard to tell, even with three games under our belt, who's going to be built to last, who actually has some, some room to, to improve and will do so. I mean, a lot of it is guesswork, and, and that's, you know, that's where we are right now. Four games, I think, will give us, you know, that, that fourth game can, can mean a lot. And each one after that, you know, adds a little more and puts the off-season stuff in the uh, in the rearview mirror. NFL.com's Eric Edholm is our guest. Eric, at what point, as you're mapping out your power rankings, or as you're maybe looking around the league, I'm sure just to get an idea of okay, this is how power rankings are structured. At what point in the season? I know Jake kind of asked you about the past stuff of the off-season. I'm talking about yeah. more of the in-season adjustments that teams make as injuries unfold. At what point does a team, let's take the Bengals, for example, who you moved up a spot because they got a win over the Rams uh, yeah. from 12 to 11. At what point does a team be sub 500 where you can no longer justify them being higher in the rankings than, say, a team that's above 500. Right now, it's three games in. I get it, two yeah. and one. You mentioned there's not a ton of separation between, say, 16 and, and, and 22. But at what point does it become harder for you to have a sub-500 team higher than a team that's, say, five and one if it got to week six? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, we had some fluky things last season, for instance, like the you know the Minnesota Vikings winning 13 games but being outscored on the season. Right? You know, I mean, that, that's not going to happen every year. And, and then I kept thinking to myself, boy, I, I don't know if this team can, can keep living this dangerously, right? Or if you take it to your example, uh, like the Green Bay Packers, right? They started out, what, three and six last year, I want to say. I think Detroit beat them and – uh, what was it? So week nine or 10, whatever. I don't know when their bye was, but it was right around there where they beat them the first time. 
and everybody kind of thought, well, okay, that's it. You can kind of put a fork in the, in the Packers. Well, they kind of made a run and almost almost got in, right? And guess who beat them? The Lions again. So I don't want to say mid-season, but man, it's like you, you really do have to give a, a pretty big chunk, and I would say at least. You know, right around the halfway point of the season where you say to yourself, all right, now we can we can fully say that this thing isn't turning itself around, right? Where there, there are too many issues, too many games to make up, better teams ahead of him in the division, you know, whatever the, the, the situation may be. But, yeah, I mean, some of this, it's not like I haven't done power rankings before, but it's been a minute. And uh, Dan Hansen, who, took out, who, was, who had done it for the previous four years, I think had it down to a real art and he had the real good sense and feel for when to kind of graduate those teams to the next tier, if you will, and when to say, okay, reputation aside, these guys have to come down because they haven't played well yet. Eric Edholm is our guest. He, of course, you can read his power rankings at NFL.com. Eric, I had one other question about the rankings for you, but before that, I wanted to elaborate on this. This is not me trying to attack Chris Ballard, but I'm curious by this. I, I hear that a lot. You know, hey, I, I really believe in Chris Ballard. I really like Chris Ballard. Chris Ballard's yeah. the right guy for the job. I like the way he builds rosters. Uh, six years into it, he had to basically completely tear down and start over again because the roster he had built by his own admission had failed. What is it about him that makes you believe? Yeah, I think his his best trait is to be able to find players who, you know, fit fit the kind of – smart, instinctive, physical style that they're looking for. Now, just because you find good players doesn't mean you've constructed a good roster, right? And as I alluded to, I mean, look, quarterback has been a a bit of problem, right? I mean, they've kicked the can down the road and they've gone with these one-year type stopgap solutions. I always kind of wonder what would have happened had Rivers come back for a second year. But again, even even that's still a short-term solution, but... Yeah, that was never sustainable, and that was always, I don't want to call it his blind spot, but that was always the spot that everybody obviously could say, hey, this is holding us back. Now, there are a lot of factors at play. You know, was was someone above him preventing Ballard from making a different quarterback move? Were there different voices in the room? One guy wanted somebody, every, you know, someone else wanted the other guy. That happens. I mean, I you know, again, it's, the buck stops at the GM, the guy who, you know, essentially makes the final call, but there often are people, you know, whether it's the owner or whoever who can overrule some of these things too. I'm not trying to make excuses, but I don't know the answer to that. So I can't fully say, did they have a realistic quarterback situation or a possibility, I should say, prior to drafting Anthony Richardson, that would have been, you know, beneficial, obviously the luck stuff too. I mean, that was, you know, it's, I don't know how you categorize that, but it was unexpected. And, you know, I think the, the worst part has been, you know, like plugging one hole, another, you know, sort of gap opens up in this team and, and they just haven't had the depth, but, and, you know, Shaq Leonard. But that's on him, right? Ellie. I mean, look, the injuries have been a little wild too. But the depth is on the roster build. Absolutely. Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, I, again, I, I can't argue with the fact that, you know, the results haven't added up. And, you know, in a sport where games come down to five or six plays a game, depth and quarterback play are probably two of the most important things. So, you know, there there are obvious misses in there. Every team misses 
Um, every team, I think if you looked at, at their draft record and stacked it up against the other 31, it would still reflect pretty well, even if, you know, there are some, some holes that, you know, stood out quite a bit in the last couple of years. Eric, you ever been to McDonald's and had, I don't even know if they still have them. You ever had a shamrock shake? Oh, yeah, man. Okay. They changed recipe a few years ago i want to put that out there i want to say the original i still stand by this i, I swear they were different in the 80s and 90s and they they have been recently they, but yeah, they changed the key ingredient from crest to aqua fresh right because it basically tastes like toothpaste <laughs> but but here's the thing eric okay we, we all fall victim to this every year the shamrock shake comes about for saint patrick's day yeah. And you have forgotten about it from the previous like 11 and a half months to when you had the availability of buying a shamrock shake. So sure. you go into a McDonald's and you're like, oh my gosh, the shamrock shake. And you get it because you're super excited because it's new and it's fresh and it's different and, and you eat it. And then you get like halfway through it and you go, eh, it's okay. And by the time right. you have a second, you realize that it probably wasn't all that it was cracked out to be, right? Okay. So yep. in this year's NFL season, we knew Buffalo was going to be a great team. We knew that San Francisco is probably going to be pretty good. But if you look at your if your power rankings, who is the Shamrock Shake? Oh, that's a great question. Like, who, who's the – you're saying basically who's the team that – Who's the one that is biased because it was new, unique, refreshing, and exciting, but you also realize that after four weeks you're going to go, yeah, pretty much it's what I had forgotten it was. Yeah, that's a tough question. I mean, I think if you just sort of look at the standings this year, I mean – I, I think it would be easy to apply that to Cleveland. I think a lot of people are going to say, oh, you know, Watson really hasn't played that great. Yeah, Sunday was better, and that defense can't sustain it. The division's too good. I don't know that I would pick them, but I think a lot of people would. Um, obviously, the Jets' season soured after four. Well, but now. what about the other way? The team that right now looks really good, but within a couple of weeks we're going to realize there's a little bit of fool's gold there. Because uh, right now – could it be Miami? Oh, I don't think so. No. I, I re- Honestly, I think they're going to be the toughest team to deal with all season. I think they can win the Super Bowl. I think, you know, it, I know, again, we're talking about like, hey, you just said a minute ago, three games isn't enough to say. But, I, you know, the, the Patriots came up with a really good game plan for them. Now, obviously, their tackling was bad and they had penalties and whatnot. But defensively, you'd say, okay, I think they, they did a smart thing against them. And they held them to what, 28 points and 400 yards, I mean, on the road. I think that thing is going to translate all year long unless there is another major injury like Tua last year or what have you. See, that's my one concern there. And this is true, Eric, of probably every team I realize. But it feels to me like the team that has the least margin for error at key injury is Miami because, and this is to a credit to them, but the two or three players they have that are – dynamic for them are so dynamic there is no replicating it and so if they go down then it suddenly becomes really difficult for them to sustain the same way that they play does that make sense yeah it makes sense i i I will disagree with on one element in the sense that jalen waddle wasn't out there sunday and they still put up 70 but yeah if tyreek hill does go down it certainly changes the dynamic of the team and um, you know, but Devin A. Chain breaking out, or I guess his name is maybe not pronounced that way. <laughs> Peter King had a story that, that, that threw all of us for a loop the other day, but uh, you know who I'm talking about, the rookie out of Texas A&M. But, um, you know, they, they have unbelievable speed with him. That's and it. Their speed is just incredible. Yeah. So if you lose one of those guys, Hill being, I think, the most important, 
clearly they're going to have a different game plan and a different way to attack you. But New England took Hill out of the game. You know, you know, he scored a touchdown, but still, I mean, contained him, and they still went off. So, boy, I don't know. Maybe someone's, you know, got something they can match Miami's speed with. And uh, I would say it, it comes down to getting into his face and pressuring and, and really taxing that offensive line. But, you know, they, they, they really get rid of the ball quickly these days and, and get yards after the catch. I think they're, they're dangerous, and not just because, you know, they've had three good games. Just watching them on tape, Denver looked like they had no idea how to stop these guys, and even the Patriots struggle with them. By the way, uh, it's the Chargers. Shamrock Shake is the Chargers. Every year it's the oh, Chargers yeah. to win the West. Yeah, it's the Chargers, fair. and it's, it's the Chargers. They're one and two, man. With a, I mean, they almost lost Sunday. You saw what Staley did. Now, the the Eric, game. I'm a Chiefs the, fan. You should Bears, know the front end. The but Bears are a filet of fish <laughs> dipped in tartar sauce. That's the Bears, um, right? Yeah, with, with like cold ketchup on top, man. I'm <laughs> in Chicago. And, like, you know, you, I'm not a Bears fan, but uh, you, you talk to people, and there was so much optimism. And by halftime of the Green Bay game, it was gone. You know, or like the third quarter, I guess. But it's unbelievable how quickly things. How much of that is? How much of Justin Fields do you think is just you know mental at this point, and how much of it is situational in the fact that he has no one to throw to? Yeah, I. You know, they have to do a better job of scheming DJ more open and stuff. And they, you know, they pay their tight end Cole Komet and. You know, I mean, he's he's had limited production, I think, so far. And, uh, I mean, right now I think the biggest thing is the offensive line. But, obviously, Fields doesn't look any different for me from last year in terms of sitting back in the pocket and getting comfortable. He wanted to do it. The coaches wanted him to do it. And, as a result, they're taking away one of his best weapons, you know, using him as a design runner. That's that's what makes him so dangerous. And I get it. It's it's a catch-22. You want to develop him as a passer, but you also want to keep the – the run threat, it just hasn't – they haven't found the magic formula yet. And they end up with two high picks. They've got theirs in Carolina. I don't know how they don't draft a different quarterback in trade fields. That's my guess. I have no, you know, insider information on that right now. But that's the direction it seems to be creeping towards. Eric, I appreciate the time. We'll accept your apology on behalf of Indianapolis. How's that? <laughs> Hey, I heard you guys uh, picked against them on Sunday, so I think every, we're kind of every person that. here did, and and I love it because the players, of <laughs> course, all then tweeted out, and I'm like, wait a minute, I thought you don't read and you don't listen to stuff, right? <laughs> right. Like well, Ryan Day doesn't listen to anything until all of a sudden they win a game, and then he's like, let me give you an alphabetized list of everything everyone said about us. <laughs> they have it categorized and everything. It's the yeah, way I it mean, works, man. It's the way it, it works. It happens. All right, next week when you have the Colts 11th, we look forward to having you on to talk about it. I'm down. Let's go. All right. Sounds good. Eric, appreciate it, man. Enjoy the games this week. Thank you. You too. All right. Eric Edholm again from Chicago, but NFL.com had the Colts 28th in terms of the power ranking. Somebody else said Baltimore's one that, you know, there are certain teams that are just enigmatic, Jimmy. We, we just don't know where they are at this point, right? I thought you were talking about Shamrock Shake candidates because I stand by my Chargers pick. Chargers is a good one. They say every year they're going to win the AFC West this year. And I really like Justin Herbert, but every year they let you down. But I'm just saying like the teams Shamrock right Shake. now that look from look a standing part. standpoint that they look like they're going to be really good and like in five weeks we're going to go man that reality really kicked in for them new orleans yes i mean any team that's two and one that looks like they probably shouldn't be two and one could it be indianapolis dare i say it it might be a uh, big event coming up at the indianapolis motor speedway and the guy that has the keys to the kingdom joins us next halfway through 
Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. The program here in the company, Quarian Company on 93.5 and 107.5. The fan, Eddie Garrison, is the CEO of the company. We have a growing by the day in terms of our employees at the company, EJ Speed, the director of Speeds, Zaire Franklin, the director of Hard Hits, I think they determined, and Jimmy Cook, the president of Quarian Company, but the president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, who is set for a busy next couple of days with the Driven to Save Lives BC39. That means that the dirt track in turn three of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway will be seeing plenty of action over the next couple of days, and Doug Bowles joins us on the program now. Doug, how are you? Well, I just got done having some Mexican for lunch, and I'm heading back to the racetrack to make sure we've got uh, everything ready to roll. I get this rain out of here, and we've got four good days of racing coming up. What'd you go with? The chimichanga enchilada? What would we what'd we roll with today? I went with a rice and chicken that I've not never done before, and it was actually really good. In fact, I have enough that I'm going to probably heat it up in the camper tonight after the first night of our Driven to Save uh, event takes place. And uh, I'm not leaving the speedway for the next four days. So I like that. Uh, so let's go over that. For those that are that are going to come out or maybe we're not even aware of it, um, and I want to preface with this for them, Doug, this is an event that came about in honor of one of the great dirt track drivers, uh, really, of the generation from right here in central Indiana in Noblesville, Brian Clawson, who, and that's why Driven to Save Lives has been so important because he did save lives by becoming an organ donor upon his unfortunate passing from a racing accident that took place. But this has been done in his honor. Uh, But let's begin with this simply, and that is, how is it different this year? And take, for those folks that don't know it, take us through exactly what's going to be taking place. So it's different this year because it's kind of disconnected from our NASCAR weekend. When we first had it in 2018, it was on the lead-in to the NASCAR weekend. In the last couple of years, it's been on the backside. And it's been a two-day event. This year, we're going to do a four-day event. We've got 72 cars in our two full shows on Thursday and Friday, and then the BC on Saturday. Tonight is really practice and a, and a stunt race, if you will, um, that, that takes place. So um, that's that's the difference of it. Uh, what it is, it's the United States Auto Club Midgets. Um, sorry for the background noise. I'm going on there tunnel and the guy next to me in his jeep uh does not have uh his muffler working heck yeah um, love it so so it's really the united states auto club midget series uh some of the best um united states auto club midget racers um all the folks that are competing for the national championship and others who just come in and run here we build a quarter mile dirt racetrack inside of oval turn three of the racetrack and uh that's that's where we run it so this will be our our fifth running we didn't run in 2020 uh, Kyle Larson won this, uh, which is pretty cool. So Kyle Larson's run it before. Ricky Stenhouse, who you know won the, the Daytona 500s, run it in the past. Connor Daly's run it a few times. So it's a, it's a cool event that a lot of people show up and run. And, Doug, if I'm not mistaken, on IMS.com, people can not only buy, like, for example, somebody's listening and they go, hey, I would love to go on Friday, but I got plans Saturday, Sunday, or somebody that says, I'm just going to spend a whole weekend out there. They can buy single-day or event-level passes, correct? 
Correct. You can buy a ticket for Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, or Saturday night, or a multiple of nights for the entire thing. And if you want to camp, we are camping on the North 40, which is just outside of the racetrack on the north end, so you can camp and, like me, not leave the Speedway for four days. So it's a, a great opportunity to kind of hang out and see, uh, see some really cool racing here at the track. Doug, from one homeowner to another, I struggle with the upkeep of my yard, let alone a dirt track at the Speedway. Uh, how much time and manpower goes into the upkeep of the dirt track? You know, that's one of the ones that I don't think people understand. They think it's just dirt. It's actually a more of a clay-based dirt, and it needs to be, and it takes a lot of science and prep to make it work. Most dirt tracks have are running more than one race a year, so it's relatively uh, easy for them to keep up with it. Because we only run ours this weekend, um, we let it sit, and then if you think about, if you go by a farm in Indiana, you wonder how, where all these rocks keep coming from. So all the rocks below the surface every year, the freeze and thaw brings them to the top. So we spend a couple of weeks just getting rocks out, everything from this, you know, a pebble all the way up to, you know, rocks the size of a softball that are coming up. So it takes quite a, quite a while to get that out. We actually plow the dirt up because of the rain yesterday. We had to seal the dirt, which means we pack it down almost as hard as concrete in, in hopes that the water just runs off of it. Because if it is mud, you can't race. It, it really needs to be clay and it needs to be dry, a little bit of moisture in it so it doesn't turn to dust. So that's the whole the whole science behind it. So Reese O'Connor from Kokomo Speedway, Scott Petrie uh, from, Petri, uh, from Petrie Excavation, the folk, our folks at Westside Tractor, all the equipment that they bring in. It's all a science. And the best part for me is I get to drive a lot of that equipment and help prep it, so it's a lot of fun. Sounds like a couple of those guys were actually driving the equipment under the tunnel, right? Isn't that what you just told us? I'm, I'm telling you, that Jeep needed a new muffler. It was a little on the loud side. That's sure. <laughs> no, I liked it, though. That's Listen, anybody that's listening to talking about you know USAC and just cars in general at the Speedway, it's part of the deal, right? Um, Doug, I'm curious, from, from your standpoint, and I guess you guys would know this, I mean, obviously, with any event that takes place at IMS, you are trying to get new eyeballs. You're trying to introduce new race fans and obviously accommodate those that are already existing race fans. With this particular event, do you find that it is predominantly crossover fan base from those that are coming to the other events at IMS? Of the events that run at IMS, which has the highest percentage of fans that that's the only IMS event they attend? Well, the Indy 500, you know, it's, it's 70% of the folks that come to the Indy 500 don't watch another race the rest of the year. Not that they don't attend. They don't even watch another race the rest of the year. So that's, I mean, that's the tradition of that race, their family tradition, and that's the one racing experience a year that they do. So that, that that's the one that has the largest number there. What we've seen in the dirt track is a pretty good crossover. We In 2018, we had a lot of Indy 500 fans who'd never been to a short track race before who came. We've got a lot of those that still come. But it does connect us. So we've got about 5,000 people in the temporary grandstand we put up in the, and in the pit area there for the event. So it's relatively small. But those folks that come are short track fans from around the Midwest. We, well, actually, we've sold tickets to um, probably 25 or 30 different states that'll that'll show up here, which is pretty cool. Uh, but it is a short track fan, and it allows us to connect to short track. It used to be the way to become an IndyCar driver was short track. It's not anymore. But this is an organic way for short track drivers to say, you know what, I want to run at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and this is their opportunity. Brian Clawson, by the way, who is, of course, the namesake that's honored in the BC39, the Driven to Save Lives event taking place on the dirt the next four nights at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Tickets available, including single night tickets for tonight for just $30, starting out at IMS.com. Brian Clawson 
was in the lead on lap 100 of the 100th running of the Indy 500, which I always thought was a cool stat. Uh, Doug, I wanted to, to give you the opportunity to kind of bow tie this as well. The last time you and I spoke on this radio station, it would have been on the morning show. I'm assuming, I think it was Brickyard or setting up for the Brickyard weekend. And you were on your way to Crown Hill and you had told the story about the fact that you had heard about uh, a young American hero that is entombed with Carl Fisher, the original founder of the Speedway. And you were actually on kind of a, a discovery mission, if you will, a homework assignment to find out more on that story and the connection of that young man to Carl Fisher and to try to validate it. I know the how the story turned out, but I think a lot of people don't because they heard you talking about it that morning and then we never got a chance to, to let people know the final results. So can you kind of, if you will, just encapsulate that entire story for everybody? Yeah, you know, first of all, I think a lot of your listeners know that you're kind of creepy crazy, and I'm a little creepy crazy. So <laughs> when when uh, when I went out to uh, Crown Hill, and Crown Hill way is an, if you've never been, it's an unbelievable cemetery with a lot of history. The stories of people that are buried there are pretty fan, uh, fascinating. So Carl Fisher, who founded the Speedway, is buried there, and he has a mausoleum there. And there was this, I'd read a story that there was a, a pilot who was actually um, uh, a British air pilot uh, who was over doing some demonstration flights. So he was ocean. British. Okay. I thought it was an American pilot. And, but And he... He uh, was coming home from a de- demonstration in, I can't remember, it's Greenfield or Greenwood. I think it was. Did we lose, Doug? Just a few hundred yards. Can you hear me still? Yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. he crashed a plane just a few hundred yards from the, from the, air, from the racetrack. He died. Uh, his widow left, went, left the country, and so Carl Fisher kept his remains until she could come back and get them. Well, I'd read that the remains were still there, so the folks at Crown Hill um, opened up the mausoleum so that I could see inside it, uh, inside are Carl Fisher's ashes, uh, his brother's ashes, his parents uh, are buried there, and inside there is the pilot. So the pilot's widow never came to pick him up. He is still there entombed with Carl Fisher, just like uh, I had read, so it's pretty crazy. And that was a British, pi- a British pilot. I was thinking it was an American Air Force pilot, but it was a British pilot, huh? Yeah, he was with with the with the British. He, I think he was a New Zealander actually that that was flying for the for for the British uh, Air Force. Okay, um, but it was just the history of it is fascinating. And Doug, I've mentioned before for folks that are unaware of it, you can actually go to Crown Hill and do essentially by downloading an app you can do an audio tour of racing dignitaries and his you know historical figures in the world of racing both drivers officials you know timing and scoring everybody and it will walk you through at crown hill where all of these people of course at their final resting place pretty fascinating stuff a lot of history out there um doug i appreciate your appreciation for the history of it and also obviously in promoting the indianapolis motor speedway again one more time let people know the next four nights what's going on and how they can get involved so yeah the uh, ims.com it's the driven to save lives bc39 it'll be the fifth one we've had the usag midget race uh, 72 cars are entered and it's going to be a blast and it's really in honor of brian clausen who unfortunately got killed at belleville in the midget race and uh Nobody knew, not even his family, that he was an organ donor. And uh, when uh, when he passed his his organs, in fact, we've had him here. The guy that has his heart came to the BC39. The guy that has his lungs came to the BC39. It's just a reminder that we can all do a good thing. Sign up to be an organ donor. Uh, it's a great way you, you can impact others for, for uh, years to come and their families. And that's one of the things we're going to do is just rem- remind people, be an organ donor, and let's uh, have some fun with this uh, driven to say BC39 in honor of Brian. 
Doug, we appreciate the time as always. We'll let you get to work. I know how much you love being out there and seeing all the race fans. We look forward to seeing everything that takes place over the next couple of days. All right, sounds great. Thanks, guys. Uh, Doug Bowles, president of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, very cool event. And by the way, um, Eddie, I'm not sure if you were part of this or not. I, I can't remember who did it. Um, selfishly speaking, I guess, as odd as that sounds when you're talking about you know, a cemetery, but um, in honoring those, as Doug had mentioned, you know, Carl Fisher is obviously buried there. There are multiple Indianapolis 500 winners that are buried at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, Bob Jenkins, obviously, his final resting spot is at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, not far from Carl Fisher for that matter. But they have now at Crown Hill, you can download their app and you can do an audio tour and it will take you through because uh, it can follow, obviously, where you are, and it takes you through and gives you a tour of the diff- you know, the markers, and then it tells you the story of the individuals, tells you what you know what they did in terms of the world of racing and their accomplishments and and what makes them unique and you know their lasting contributions. There are a number of people who did the following, uh, but it was for me a great honor, selfishly speaking. Uh, I was able to record. I can't remember. Eddie, did you record those for me? Or it might have been Mark. But I recorded this script for about 15 different of the individuals there. And it's fascinating. I mean, a lot of them, people that I didn't even know the entire backstory. And you're reading the, you know, the accomplishments and the backstory and the history of some of these people. And it's fascinating stuff. And it's fascinating stuff also that just the history of this city. I mean, I love the history of Indianapolis and understanding everything about Indianapolis and the people that went into building Indianapolis to what it's become. And to be able to, to narrate those backstories was pretty fascinating stuff. That was not you, Eddie, or it was? It was not me, okay. so that must have been Mark Dykton. Um, I think it was Mark. But but uh, at any rate, I'm sitting there reading these long scripts, and he's recording it so that I could send over to Crown Hill. And I mean, even he was like, man, like this is some fascinating stuff. Some It was written for me. I didn't write it, right? Um, but good stuff, and appreciate Doug's time as well. Uh, you want to talk a little college football coming up in the 2 o'clock hour, Jimmy? I know you're are – you, have you gotten over your, your disappointment from – the course of the weekend? Yeah, I have, Jake. And the voice is almost back, too. It's a special thing. Who is Who does Notre Dame have this weekend? Duke on the road. And, and that um, is a... That is a that, that's Look, I don't even mean from a college football playoff standpoint, if we're still having those conversations about Notre Dame, which you could make a case there's still a path. That's a I-have-to-have-it game. If you're a Notre Dame fan, if you're Marcus Freeman, Duke might be a better win than, than Clemson, depending on how the season goes. You mentioned that after week one. It's on the road. Game day is going to be there. Second straight week, the Irish are involved Trap in some game? capacity in game day. Uh, I hope not. Well, who do they have the week after that? That becomes the trick, right? Yes. I mean, if it, it's not SC the next week, right? Look it up and let me know on the other side. We'll talk a little college football. Hell Yeah. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Paul, one of the postal workers that probably got the announcement today from the United States Postal Service, and again, I'm going to read it to you, because my mom's a trendsetter, clearly. My mom should have trademarked it. The United States Postal Service sent 
a an internal note to all employees today. Be aware of fallen leaves. They can present a slip, trip, fall hazard, especially when wet. Wait, it was sent today? Yes. That was my question because it was sent today. Here's your hot take from today's show. The United States Postal Service is part of the company. They listened. <laughs> they they are. listened yesterday. They are they indeed. They heard Mama Query's warning, and they sent out the memo afterwards. Let me tell you something. The wet leaves might slow you down when you drive, but not the Postal Service, because they, of course, deliver in any sort of weather. Uh, okay, media or coaches? Which one do you more trust, Jimmy? we got to go with media, right? That's what we are. Yes. Okay. AP Top 25. Here's what we're going to do. I'm simply going to read. I thought about this yesterday. I'm going to read in groups of five, and I want you guys each to tell me just your your gut instinct, the team that you just never liked, the team that you're like, I just don't like those guys, right? And then I guess with each five, the one that you're like, "Eh, I've always kind of liked them. We'll go 25 through 21, Fresno State, Kansas, Missouri, Florida, and Tennessee. Jimmy, go. Don't really like Florida. Okay. Eddie? Kansas. All right. This is based on emotion, not based on... Correct. Okay, all right, okay, yeah. all right, all right. Uh, okay, the one that you actually... Uh, I'm like, yeah, they're cool. I got no problem with them. The most innocuous of that group. Fresno State, Kansas, Missouri, Florida, Tennessee. Go. Kansas. Okay. Fresno State. Okay, Fresno State. I- I'm kind of with you there. Um, I Obviously, I have kind of a loyalty to Kansas, I guess you'd say. Rock chalk. Um, I never really liked Missouri, just probably as a result of that, right? Okay, 20 through 15. Here we go. Ole Miss, Oregon State, Miami, Duke, Washington State. I think that's – yeah, that's five. Uh, so this is 20 through 16. Ole Miss, Oregon State, Miami, Duke, Washington State. The one that you always kind of liked. Ole Miss. Eddie? Duke. Okay, I'll go with uh, Oregon State. Been to a game there. Beavs are cool. They, they fire a chainsaw on third downs. Uh, uh, the one I've never liked in that group, Miami. 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 Uh, all three. Okay. All right, next. Uh, 15 through 10, or f- 15 through 11. North Carolina, Oklahoma, LSU, Alabama, Notre Dame. We know you're Notre Dame. Who's your dislike, Jimmy? Uh, for the purpose of the exercise in present day, LSU. Uh, I think we know Eddie's answer on this. Eddie, the one you like is? Notre Dame. Okay, I thought you'd go with LSU because your girlfriend is in love with Joe Burrow. Uh, and then the the one that you dislike out of that group. You're asking me or you're asking Jimmy or you're asking yourself? I'm asking you, Eddie. Uh, Alabama. Okay. Out of that group, the one that I really have never had a problem with is LSU, despite the fact I'm a Clemson fan and they blew them out in the national title game. And then Notre Dame, I've never been a fan of. Okay, next group of five. Utah, Oregon, USC, Washington, and Penn State. Utah, Oregon, USC, Washington, Penn State. The one you always kind of liked, Jimmy. Oregon. Utah. I'll go with Washington. I like the purple. Seattle's cool. The one you dislike out of that group. USC. (laughs) Not even close. Eddie? (laughs) Oregon. I got to go with Penn State in that regard. Got to go with Penn State. All right, last group. Florida State, Ohio State, Texas, Michigan, and Georgia. The one you've always secretly like, kind of thought was cool. Florida State. I would also say Florida State. I, Florida State's hard to argue in that regard. I'm going to have to go, though, just because my first football hero was Lars Tate and my sister's graduating class at, Lor- at North Central, and he went to Georgia. I've always kind of liked Georgia. Out of that group, the one, uh, can we all unanimously say it, and I appreciate and love everybody that listens to this program that's a fan of them, but Ohio State's got to be the one we don't like, right? Yes. Yeah, um, I'm very mad at them, but it's Michigan. What? Notre Dame fanhood. It's Michigan. Okay. I'm very mad at Ohio State. I'm very mad at Ryan Day, but I can't let one game Are you mad at Lou Holtz? Away you know how you can tell somebody is an Ohio State fan? 
Because if you yell OH in a crowd, they'll reply. Say hi to them. Be within the first 10 <laughs> seconds. You know, by the way, I'm an Ohio State fan. Yeah, I get it. Okay, great. You know, th- life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This song, when Billy Joel wrote it, and the video, which I've always liked this song, the video, of course featuring Christy Brinkley. And I think everybody assumed that Christy Brinkley was who the song was written about. But there have been various stories behind that, including that Whitney Houston was one of them. Whitney Houston, Elle McPherson, and Christy Brinkley, I think all three were at an event with Billy Joel, and he wrote it kind of in tandem about the three of them. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Like depending I re- on, I really like Billy Joel. Um, I really I'm, like Elle McPherson. I, uh, I, I don't. Outside of Whitney Houston, I don't know the other two names. I apologize. I'm showing my age here. Um, but I always enjoy a little factoid. So no, I'm add it to the fun fact board. Jimmy, you need to say, say I'm that, showing say your, that youth, again. your youthfulness. Say that again. Which which part did you say illuminated your age? No, I'm saying like the fact that I assume you were going to get mad at me because I didn't know who the other two people were you said the song could have been about. Christy Brinkley? No. You don't know who Christy Brinkley is? No, I'm sorry. Al McPherson? Ask him too. Bet he doesn't know. Eddie? Christy no Brinkley. No cheating. Um, Brinkley sounds familiar. All right. I don't believe But it. not the other name. No. Okay. Because <laughs> did, did either one of you guys see my Metamucil? I left it on here somewhere. <laughs> it was on your walker, actually, outside. Christy Brinkley dated John Mellencamp. She was a supermodel that was big in the early yes. to mid-80s. Okay, yeah. That's she how I know She is most her. noted, probably, in terms of transcendence. Her signature thing would be, have either one of you guys seen Vacation with Chevy Chase? No. Yes, yes. In the movie Vacation with Chevy Chase, the blonde girl in the red Ferrari that okay. like that th- periodically okay. reappears throughout the movie. Okay. That's Christy Brinkley. There we go. Al McPherson was a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model primarily was her claim to fame. She was on the cover of the 1987 Sports Illustrated swimsuit issue and a similar in the same issue Indiana was ranked number 2 in the country, which was the, at the time I didn't know if I was more excited about Al McPherson on the cover or Indiana being ranked number 2 in the country. Tough choice. Um, Colts news from today, Anthony Richardson, Ryan Kelly, DeForest Buckner, all of them in the headlines, Jimmy, get us up to speed on exactly what that means. So this from our friend James Boyd with The Athletic. You asked first for Ryan Kelly and Anthony Richardson. Both are practicing today. For Ryan Kelly, it is in the blue jersey, which is important because it's not a red non-contact jersey. James goes on to further elaborate. That must mean that he is at least at step five in the NFL's five-step concussion protocol, meaning he's good for full contact practice. Last hurdle would be by an independent doctor clearing him. For Anthony Richardson, he's in a red jersey, but that's what the quarterbacks usually are sporting. So it's tough at this juncture with practice still ongoing to determine where he's at. You would assume, though, he's at least, as Eddie speculated earlier, in step four at minimum of the five-step concussion protocol and then DeForest Buckner not at practice today. Uh, 
Kevin Bowen also just put something up on the station website explaining the protocol for Anthony Richardson and that by all account he is on pace um, and in the direction of returning and playing against the Rams coming up on Sunday at Lucas Oil Stadium. Now, as for the Rams themselves, uh, interesting matchup, Jimmy, because the Rams are one of those, as we were just talking in the last hour, if you've just joined us, we talked to Eric Edholm just about a half an hour ago that does the power rankings on NFL.com. And we were talking about those teams that are kind of enigmatic. You don't know exactly where they are. I, I think at this point in the season, a lot of times you go into a matchup with teams and you assume that they are somebody that maybe they are not either because you're going off of the past and that's still fresh in your mind or you also are not anticipating directions in terms of progress that team may have the Rams seem to be the former of that to me and by that I mean this the Rams have been you know obviously it is still fresh that they were a Super Bowl winning team and they still have guys Obviously, defensively, one of the biggest disruptors in the history of the league, and Aaron Donald, and then you know Matt Stafford at the quarterback position. You still have some anchors there, but they have not been able to build youth around them because of all of the sacrifice they made to get that Super Bowl. Kudos to them; it paid off. But they haven't necessarily had draft picks to be able to build and strengthen and and continue a youth movement. So question for you, Jimmy, would be this. In your opinion, are these the the competitive Rams by which we're used to, or are these the Rams that we have seen more recently that even when healthy now are not going to be able to get off where they have been and are not as legitimate a, a con- every week in the NFL, I get it, but are you worried about the Rams, I guess is my question. They are teetering in between those two angles you just brought up but I would put them more towards the Rams we've been used to seeing for the last season and a half primarily because they're not fully healthy yet like there, there's some bright spots on this roster Kyron Williams has been a great story for them finally it looks like even though he had a bad game against Cincinnati and wasn't fully his fault he only got 10 carries they kind of abandoned the run for a large portion of that game inexplicably really because it felt like a good matchup for Kyron Williams but he's a good running back is finally the clear workhorse there when they dealt Cam Akers away but you're relying on Puka Nakua, who has been a fun wideout to see blossom as a rookie this year, three games in. And, and we mentioned him yesterday as a fantasy football darling for a lot of people after week one. But after him, you look at Van Jefferson, who is basically hit or miss for this team. Tyler Higby, who is a reliable tight end. And then you look at, are there any other wide receivers that really scare me on this roster? 2-2 two, two Atwell. 2-2 two, two Atwell. Again, I would, I would throw in there, but... Both of the combination of Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell would be more fear bringing to a team if Cooper Cup was out there, and he's not out there right now. Right. Like, the, like he is, he is what a DeForest Buckner or or what a Michael Pittman Jr. is to the Colts. It, like without him out there for this offense, they are a step behind. And it makes things so much easier if he's out there for guys like Pukunakua, like Tutu Atwell, like Van Jefferson, like we mentioned. So until he gets there, which is not happening this week because he's still on IR, they are not a team that I fully fear when they pop up on the schedule. Yeah, that's that's fair. I, I You know, Stafford is still obviously a big-armed, experienced quarterback, but he's not been off to a great start this year, right? I, I mean, and part of that probably is just the familiarity around him 
you know, there was a lot of – Stafford's one of those guys <clears> – <throat> He seems like a decent dude. I, I, I've never seen or, or read anything about him personally where he seems like a – but there's always like some kind of weird needing to be explained drama around him. You know, part, part of it – and this is, you know, like his wife sending out messages like, you know, oh, Matthew doesn't even know who he's playing with this year. He doesn't – and I'm paraphrasing what she was saying. But, you know, there always seems to be like something that needs to be explained – well, now actually, what was really meant was this. And look, he's obviously a very good to great quarterback in his prime. I don't know if he's still there, but he's an interesting guy to me because Stafford, when he went, like, I feel like Matthew Stafford, 20 years from now, 25 years from now, okay? Like the Washington Redskins, I know they're the commanders now, but when they were doing it, it was the Redskins. The Washington Redskins won three Super Bowls under Joe Gibbs. And I've always been, and obviously I know, I'm like, okay, so the the quarterbacks that won Super Bowls with the Washington Redskins, Joe Theismann, Doug Williams, because he was the first African-American quarterback to win a Super Bowl, and he had a monster game. Timmy Smith, was, I think it was Timmy Smith was his name, was unbelievable in that game. But but Doug Williams, it was just like this flurry of scoring for Washington. And then the third one, I'm always like, now was it Mark Rippon or Jay Schrader? I think it was Mark Rippon, but I'm not positive. And I feel like Stafford is kind of in that category of like, 25 years from now, are people going to remember that he won a Super Bowl with the Rams? Or are they going to be like, no, that was Jared Goff? Because he he kind of just... I don't think that'll happen. I've always thought of Matthew Stafford as a consistent, accurate quarterback that has one of the strongest arms in the no, league. Totally but, but, agree. But, but, I, I totally don't think agree, that but, would happen, but he, but he could get forgotten, yes. What I'm saying is, could his tenure with the Rams be forgotten that that's that because he got there and won that Super Bowl and now there's the potential that I mean he's in the twilight of his career right so the big arm huge number prime of his career was in Detroit yes and then he goes to the Rams and like oh he wins a Super Bowl and theoretically I mean he's going to have a couple of years left but my point being like I could see that Super Bowl with the Rams getting lost in the shuffle where 20 years from now people like forget that he was the one that came over and got them over the hump when Jared Goff had taken them to a Super Bowl it's more likely that happens for me because of what is potentially sandwiched around him and what I mean by that is Kansas City's won two and four years Brady won his seventh again sandwiched in with the Rams championship the Chiefs won last year if the Eagles or Joe Burrow gets his first, something like that happens this year. There's a chance when you're looking back 10 years from now at like the run of 2020 as a decade in the NFL or 2019 to, to 2029, you forget about that Rams win because there were more dominant teams that won more often. That's than what they I'm did. like. The, in other words, the Rams Super Bowl. It could be like the Ravens. It's in like a one off. It's like a one off Super Bowl, right? It, it, you're like, oh, I forgot that. Like then the Rams snuck in there and won one. Sure. It, it, it could be like the, the Ravens in 2013 or whenever they won it. I, I know that that was the end of the era of Ray Lewis, Ned Reed, and there's emotions that you know Baltimore fans will never forget, but it gets lost in all that Brady did during that era, all that Manning did during that era. Like, yeah, it's one that as it gets further and further away, when you look back at that decade and that era of the NFL, 
yeah, it'll probably get lost. I mean, he's 35, Stafford. He's already thrown for 900 yards on the year, right? So he's clearly still got it in him. But you watch that game Monday night, right? I mean, you're kind of waiting the whole time for the Rams to because you are used to. I remember that game. Jimmy, you would remember it. And again, my years run together after a while. But the, do you remember the – and I'm going to guess on the year. I'm going to guess it was 19. Maybe – yeah, it would have been 19 because I think it was pre-COVID. What was the game where it was the Rams and the Chiefs and it was Goff and Mahomes and it literally was like a pinball game? The G- Monday game, night game. game oh. Yes. Game it was, was supposed to be in Mexico City, but the turf was, was horrendous, so they moved it to the Coliseum and it was out it in It was LA. insane, right? I yeah. mean, what was the – what year was that? It was 2018. I was in Chicago at the time. Okay. At that time, and so my point being, Jared Goff was the quarterback, and he was just, it was like this guy, and he was the number one overall pick in the draft, right? Yes. So Goff and that Rams team, I mean, it it literally felt like, it felt like if that game had gone, if it would have been first to 100, the final score would have been 100 to 94. Yeah. I, I yeah. mean, it was like, holy cow. Now, and then Goff, I think what happened, truthfully, is he got to the Super. He took him to the Super Bowl, and then there were all kinds of defensive stunts thrown to him amidst the Super Bowl, and it, it just completely kind of threw him off. And he was kind of exposed as a guy that could throw really good outs and fades and things like that, and put the ball where it needed to be with elite receivers. But in terms of audibleizing or recognizing what defensive stunts were being thrown his way. Goff struggled with it and all of a sudden like he fell out of favor quickly and they do the trade and bring Stafford over and then boom they win so I I do think that it's possible years from now people like oh that's right I forgot but a lot of that's dependent upon how he finishes in LA but it does feel like with the team that's coming on Sunday you think that it's like the big bad Rams but it's more kind of like sheep right now I'm going to predict right now, I'll tell you right now, Indianapolis is going to win on Sunday. The Colts will win on Sunday. Regardless of whether it's Richardson or Minshew, and I think it's going to be Richardson, but the Colts are going to win on Sunday. And I'm not saying that because Moali Cox got offended because we all picked the the Ravens. But at that point, the Colts <laughs> hadn't done anything to show us why to pick the Colts, right? Yes. But their defense is why. I think they're going to win on Sunday because their defense has some nastiness to them. They get after the quarterback. EJ Speed, as we talked about, Gus Bradley said 95% of the time he's making plays. They they are credit the Colts for the fact of basically encouraging everyone to be patient about their defensive line, and those guys now are playing. And they have a young, fairly aggressive secondary. And obviously their line. I mean, their defense is legit. I think their defense can keep them in games. And again, there are going to be games. This is the most obvious and lazy narrative of all time. But there are going to be games where Anthony Richardson looks like they are on the fast track to Canton, and there are going to be games where they're going to look like they're on the the fast track to maybe playing like Canton College. But I do think that that defense is going to keep them in games, and I think they win Sunday. The biggest reason, 
and you highlighted it as to why you should think the Colts could win on Sunday is do you think, and I know it's tough to compare rosters, but do you think Gus Bradley schematically and what the Colts are able to do can make life as difficult as the Bengals did defensively against Matthew Stafford? And that was to the good tune of six sacks. Yeah, good question. And that was to the tune of, of not a lot of time to throw the football. And that was to the tune of containing everything to the point that they abandoned the run very early and never got back to it. And you have a frustrated Matthew Stafford on the sidelines at the end of that game. If your answer is... Yes, they are comparable, or maybe in your heart of hearts you say, I think they're better than, yes, the Colts should win on Sunday. And Eddie and I were mapping this out, and this is probably an exercise for next week because I don't know that 2-1 and one fully earns revisiting it, but all the talk yesterday about what is a better path to be on as a franchise. Is it mediocre? Is it early playoff exits? Is it tough seasons that help you build draft capital. Regardless of where you sit on all that, I want it to be done with Anthony Richardson. I've made that clear. This is a year about his development. But Eddie and I were reviewing some of the schedule again because they're over under is, what was it, six and a half, Eddie, going into the year? I don't, and I'm not, I don't say that like, oh, we should go run and try to bet a Colts win total right now. I say that because there are winnable games on the schedule. This is a winnable game for the Colts. If we're being serious about having our cake and eating it too with Anthony Richardson growing and the Colts potentially winning the South, you need to win games like what you're going up against on Sunday. And there are plenty of opportunities on the schedule where the Colts could do that. I, If you look at the Colts' next six, somebody said, you know, to your point, the, the, the Colts right now, their next six games – I. Again, it's really hard to say, and I know that it's our job to be able to, to nail down exactly what's going to happen and be like amazing. It's difficult to know in the NFL, but it does look like they are in a position where they can get themselves into a good rhythm here. And a lot of that, too, is the benefit of coming off of a, a terrible season where you get a favorable schedule. Yes. I mean, this three-game stretch, this will be better for next week. It will be better for next week. But this three-game stretch at home against the Rams – at home against the Titans, and I don't really want to play this game, but if we do that, you're they win both, let's just say. You're four and one going to Jacksonville. That is your turning point yeah. game of is the South real or are the Colts just playing ahead of expectations? Sounds like Eddie's got breaking news over there. Uh, Adrian Wojnarowski reporting Damian Lillard is being traded from the Portland Trail. Let me guess, let me guess. Two, two. The Toronto Raptors. That's is my guess. I've not seen clubhouse it. Clubhouse leader of I've late not seen for it. Sure. I'm, I'm, I'll go I'm with cherry picking. I'll go with the Miami Heat, but it's probably the Raptors. Let me ask you this: Is he going to have to pay a lot of, a lot in taxes? Yes. The Raptors. Right. Yeah. No. Oh. Okay. Um. Oh man. Now I. Now I. It has impacts here. Uh, Milwaukee. Yes. Wow. For who? N- not sure yet. Just tweeted less than a minute ago that he is being traded to. Three-team uh, deal. Okay, three-team deal with Drew Holiday, DeAndre Ayton, uh, I can't say that person's name, a 2029 <laughs> unprotected Milwaukee first, an hold unprotected on. Milwaukee swap rights in 2028 and 2030. So hold on, here's the easiest way to do this, okay? So, and by the way, somebody just texted me, I lost respect for Matthew Stafford when he turned his back on the girl that fell off the stage in front of him. I forgot about that. That was not a good look. No, it was a tough he, look. Okay, so the Milwaukee Bucks... This league. Are receiving association. <laughs> Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard. Anything else? 
That's all I'm seeing so far. Okay. The, Phoenix. The Phoenix Suns are receiving who? Yusuf Nurkic. Okay. Grayson Allen. Nasir Little. And Keon Johnson. Okay. And who was the who was the little who would you say? Uh so Portland. Okay, so Portland's a third team. Portland is mm-hmm. receiving who? Uh I I'm assuming they're receiving Drew Holiday. Okay. DeAndre Ayton. Tumani Camara. Kamara Kamara, I don't know. A twenty twenty nine unprotected Milwaukee first. And unprotected Milwaukee swap rights in twenty twenty eight and twenty uh, and twenty thirty. I don't. I'm not familiar with what swap rights means. My guess is they're able to swap best firsts, pick, best pick, right, and that's right. so whoever like has that. the better pick of the two. Yeah, they can. They have the right to swap, so, and that's for twenty twenty eight and twenty twenty nine. Thirty. Okay, because you can't trade. Consecutive, so ultimately, yeah. Portland receives three first rounders: Aiton Kamara and Drew Holiday. Yep. It's pretty solid. And then Phoenix gets Nurkic, Grayson Allen, this year, little Keon Johnson, which that's a great, I think, three role players to fit in with the three superstars. The, the thing that's interesting about the Phoenix deal and Phoenix being a part of that, keep in mind, DeAndre Ayton was a guy that Indiana made the offer sheet towards. And, and here Phoenix matched it. And there was a lot of discussion at the time and I can't remember what player it was, but there was discussion or theory at the time that Indiana forced Phoenix to overpay for DeAndre Ayton to take Phoenix out of the sweepstakes of a different player, and I can't remember who it was. But Phoenix signs Ayton to that big deal, and then within, what, two years, turns around and flips him. Yes. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're Phoenix, I get it, Milwaukee's probably the happiest all parties might be happy after this trade, depending on how you play it out in the next five years. But immediate reaction, if you're Phoenix, you're thrilled about that. Because that Aiton deal, the same reason Pacers fans were thankful it didn't wind up happening for them because of how bad he looked a year ago and, again, how much the league changes for big men. If you're Phoenix, you'll take that as a win alone, getting that contract off your books. The Blazers remain engaged elsewhere on deals and will and are expected to immediately engage contending teams on trade talks to move on from Drew Holiday, according to Adrian Wojnarowski. Man, I, I love the NBA sometimes. I get it. I know NFL is king. And and granted, I've, I've turned my nose at the Damian Lillard talk other than to see the Raptors were a clubhouse pick yesterday or two days ago. Did anybody see Milwaukee coming? Like, I, I didn't. Yeah, I mean, good point, right? Um, pairing him with Giannis. I love Giannis. I love his game. I, you know, I love everything about it, right? Now, Here's my here's my one take on the Portland Trailblazers that has nothing to do with the Portland Trailblazers, but their arena. Their arena, which is really cool. It's right next to the hotel we stayed at when we were just in Portland for IndyCar. You break um, in? What's that? Did you break in? I didn't go in. You know what? Here's the thing. It's Sorry, still, did you find a door jar? I it, apologize. It's still open to the public, so the thrill is gone, right? Okay, I understand. When, when it's accessible to other people, it's not yeah, as exciting. Astrodome, it. on the other hand, show me the door, baby. <laughs> now, but I'm driving... Like three years ago, I'm, I'm in Portland for the IndyCar race. I'm driving. I'm going to the airport, and I'm driving right past the arena. It's dark. I'm cruising along in the middle lane, and I see before me all of the red lights like just like 
going to, like darting to the right and left. I'm like, what the hell? And I, I, you kind of come around a bend because literally the interstate goes around the arena. And I go around the bend, and just as I'm basically in turn three, if you will, of this area going around the arena, sitting right smack dab in the middle of the interstate, a refrigerator. Standing upright, just sitting in the middle of the interstate. Full-on refrigerator. And I'm like, so, uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It was a bathtub. That's what it was. Oh, it was man. a bathtub. A full bathtub sitting like a, like a an old school like the the one i don't the, the claw bathtubs did it look grimy was it, it yes it, well i mean first well, off you're just like i'm about to blast a, a full porcelain <laughs> bathtub that's just sitting in the middle of the lane so i literally like right then i'm like oh my gosh i mean i almost hit the thing right the people are slamming on their brakes swerving i call now it's like and it was like eight o'clock at night i call nine one one, and the lady literally goes you know, it rings like twice, and the lady goes, 911, is this about the bathtub? <laughs> Literally what she said. <laughs> yes, it is. And she goes, yes, several people have called. Good win for humanity. Good win for humanity I, that multiple people called I mean, about the bathtub. what do they do? Do they just go and, like, do they go and close off the interstate? And then, I mean, it was a, like, this thing had to have been 800 pounds. I like to imagine that they have a deluxe-type truck, kind of no like question. those that, that plow snow. That is just for that occasion. That they get underneath like the tub, a claw, and just, yeah, pick up the bathtub. Exactly. exactly. Yeah, I mean, it, I was like, it was crazy. But um, I guess the good news is Damian Lillard now, in terms of trucks on the interstate, he's going to need one to clear snow, not bathtubs, on his way to the Milwaukee Bucks. So, uh, big, big move there. This has been floating around Twitter right now, and perhaps we talk about it more on the other side, or maybe we leave it for another day. But you mentioned players that are on contract having an opportunity to voice their displeasure or have a voice with the front office. And I get it. Giannis is closer than where Tyrese Halliburton is. And also Giannis has won a championship. But uh, last month, Giannis said, I want everybody on the same page as on a podcast camera where it was competing for a championship. If I don't feel that I might not be compelled to resign one month later, Bucks swing big and have maybe the best duo in the East. Well, didn't he just sign though? He did, but I'm just saying, like, in terms of his future plans, there's been speculation, and, and you know how player-driven the league is. The point is, they built around their star. I'm not saying they wouldn't have done it anyway to be able to get a talent like Damian Lillard, but player power wins again. Uh, Indiana's got a star that they're going to build around, and whether or not the player power of that influences the way they handle things in the next couple of weeks and perhaps season is the topic of our next discussion, including some words from their GM next. Love. Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. This madness, baby. 1983 Taylor Basketball Camp woke us up to it every morning to that song. Speaking of basketball, Pacers, we just talked about the big trade. Damian Lillard coming to Milwaukee to the Midwest in a three-team deal. The key notes of that deal, essentially, the Phoenix Suns parting ways with DeAndre Ayton. He is on his way to Portland. Drew Holiday being sent by Milwaukee to Portland. And then a number of different players and Portland loading up on picks as a result of this three-team deal. 
question I just asked, I'll say it rhetorically now, in the break I was asking these guys. Essentially what it boils down to is if you look at Milwaukee's roster, Giannis, a fabulous player, you know, guys that, that are supportive roles on that roster, but does Damian Lillard, is he a net positive over the combo of what is brought to the table by Drew Holiday and Grayson Allen? That's the question essentially now to see what happens with Milwaukee. As for the Pacers, talked about this earlier, but want to revisit it. The situation with Buddy Heald. Now, to put this in terms, again, I go with precedent and relatability. So to give people perspective as to where the Pacers are with Buddy Heald, let me illustrate the following. And it goes in the way back a little bit, but it's an era that I think is fondly recalled by the majority of listeners and certainly Pacer fans. When the Pacers traded for Chris Mullen, they traded Eric Dampier for Chris Mullen, and Mullen joined the Pacers and was there in 1998 when the Pacers gave the Jordan-led Bulls, and if you if you weren't around then, I get it, but if you watched The Last Dance, which I think during COVID most people watched, you saw that the Jordan-era Bulls, they're the the team to push them further than any amongst those six title teams was the 98 Pacers. And that 98 Pacer team, a key, key part of that was Chris Mullen, who they traded Eric Dampier, who had been a serviceable player for them early in his career and had only been there, I think, a year when they traded him, maybe two, to Golden State for Mullen. And Mullen was a critical piece in that 98 team. But then they went to the finals in 2000, and by then Jalen Rose, who was emerging in 98, was a key player in 2000 during their playoff run. He and Reggie Miller became the first combo, I believe, in NBA history to both score 40 points for the same team in a playoff game. And they did that against Milwaukee, actually, the aforementioned Bucks, uh, in 2000, during their run to the finals. And Chris Mullen was a seldomly used bit player because Father Time had finally knocked on the door of Chris Mullen. And Jalen Rose was emerging. But when they acquired Chris Mullen, he was on, he had three years left on his deal, 98, 99, 2000, about three and a half million a year. So you, in 2000, you have a guy that was different and was not as necessary because of the emergence of Jalen Rose that you needed and had in 98. That's where they are right now, essentially, with Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald, at no disrespect to Buddy Heald, to an extent, I think the Pacers knew what kind of player he was. There's no way you wouldn't know that. And he had been a really good player in Sacramento and a dynamic outside shooter. But in the NBA, to make a trade, you have to have the two salaries match within, like, I think it's 90% one to the other. And so they sent Domas Sabonis, who had a big ticket, to Sacramento for Tyrese Halliburton, who was still on a, an initial contract, so it wasn't as expensive. So they get Buddy Heald kind of as the throw-in. Jeremy Lamb also was in part of that deal. Was Buddy Heald a throw-in for the Pacers' standpoint? Probably not, but the salary is why Sacramento had to send Buddy Heald. So the Pacers get him. And what they found is that Buddy Heald has been a really good player. He's not only a very good outside shooter, he's not only extremely durable and reliable, he is a really valued part of their franchise. 
He is very well liked and respected by his teammates. I think he's well liked by the staff and the coaches. And he has a levity about him, an approach about him that keeps the Pacers loose. When they're in a three-game losing skid and they come home, when they're in the midst of a long road trip, when Carlisle's making them do wind sprints at the end of practice, whatever it might be, Buddy Heald is the guy that keeps them loose and always kind of has the right joke or the right comment or whatever else to say. Like, if you watch Ted Lasso, Buddy Heald is Danny Rojas. I think that was his name. Yes. On Ted Lasso. (laughs) That's who he is in the locker room. So... Here's the deal, though. Basketball is life. That's right. The deal is he's in the last year of his contract. And the Pacers know, based on his age, that the possibility is there that you sign him to like a three or four or even five-year deal that you are more than likely committing money to 2,000 Chris Mullen. Because you have Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nimhard, and you hope Jarris Walker that are all elevating a la Jalen Rose. So do you want to put yourself in a financial position where you are paying big ticket and committing big ticket to somebody who, and keep in mind, NBA contracts are guaranteed. And you know that in the latter part of that deal, his minutes are going to be waning. So Sure, you can front load a contract. You can do it to a shorter amount of time. But it takes two to tango, and Buddy Heald has to agree to that. So in terms of where things are with the conversations and the extension talks with Buddy Heald, here is Pacers general manager from yesterday, Chad Buchanan, addressing the extension talks with Buddy Heald. I would say Buddy's somebody that we love having on our team. Um, we want him on our team this year. You know, the business of basketball comes into play at times. You know, we've had talks with him about an extension, and you know, those talks are you know at a halt. I'd say right now, but that's not to say that they're done. Um, we'd like to have Buddy with us. We have no intention of trying to to move Buddy, um, but it's also our job to listen if opportunities come that helps us improve the team. So the other thing. Um, that comes into play here. By the way, it was against Philly in the second round of 2000 when Rose and Reggie Miller both had 40. Thank you to Mark Monteith for correcting me there. The other thing about Buddy Heald, though, that the Pacers have to keep in mind is it does take two to tango. So, yes, they can sit there and say, look, we'd love to have him and keep him around, but what if another team comes along? What if Orlando comes along and says, we want to give you five-year, $200 million, whatever it might be? Does Buddy Heald have that – does the love that, that the Pacers feel for Buddy Heald, is it reciprocated enough that Buddy Heald is interested in, in maybe coming up with ways to stay here? Here's Chad Buchanan on Buddy Heald's, or at least the perception of Buddy Heald's mindset. Buddy loves being a Pacer. You know, Buddy loves, you know, playing basketball wherever he's at. I think he wants to be in a situation where he can be somewhere long term, which, you know, all players do. And um, it's got to be the right situation for both the team and for Buddy, um, both playing and contract wise. And but we do, you know, we're trying to you know, find a, a common ground on this with Buddy and we want him with us, like I said. And I think Buddy's going to come in, be professional and be excited to be part of this team. He loves playing with this group. He loves playing for Coach Rick. Okay, what that means, interpreted, is this. And Chad Buchanan, by the way, I think is going to join us in studio sometime next week. And we can talk more about this. But what that means, one would assume, is 
Uh, we certainly hope, you know, we got a lot to navigate through, but we hope that it doesn't affect Buddy's mindset of being a professional because we need him to play, and he's a good player, and he still has some basketball left in him, and we've got him under contract. So uh, we hope this doesn't in any way, shape, or form interrupt his focus. But, Jimmy, the other curveball to all of this, the other question mark to all of this, the other factor to all of this is the fact that who at least based on their, if we were to believe what they tell us, meaning the players, who's Buddy Heald's best friend on the team? It would appear Tyrese Halliburton. Who's Tyrese Halliburton's best friend on the team? It would appear Buddy Heald. Okay. Now, there's a lot of speculation, a lot of discussion, a lot of talk of, well, what does this mean, though? Do they do they run the risk of upsetting the apple cart with Tyrese Halliburton? And, you know, I, this city has PTSD when it comes to keeping players happy. Paul George, you didn't build enough around me. I told you to go get Anthony Davis. You didn't even make a phone call. So I'm on my way out the door. He was looking for a reason to be out the door. That all, in my opinion, that began when Larry Bird said, Paul George, don't make the decisions around here. Paul George said, no, actually, I kind of do. And now he's a clipper, right? Obviously, by way of other franchises. But, you know, Victor Oladipo. Was Victor Oladipo unhappy here? I think it was more that Victor Oladipo had people in his ear telling him that he could become a mass singer like jazz musician star or, or R&B star if he's in Miami in a big market, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and people almost forget about Oladipo at this point, I think, because he's gambled on himself and it didn't pay off. But I understand the concern or the hesitation of should the Pacers not resign a player that is clearly Tyrese Halliburton's running mate inside the locker room and on the floor the answer to that is Tyrese Halliburton is getting ready to enter into a contract that's going to pay him 52 million dollars a year and that locks him here for a while and yes it might be a little bit of a blow to his ego or his comfort level to have the guy that he most trusts and feels comfortable with that keep in mind went through the same thing he did Tyrese Halliburton was genuinely hurt when Sacramento traded him he was genuinely hurt. He, he Tyrese Halliburton believe, is a guy that like he's a loyalty guy. Played at Iowa State. I know that he, I, you know, that sounds weird because he, you know, you look at Iowa State. It's not. I don't think he wasn't a four year player there. But I, but he thought that he was going to be in Sacramento for a long time, and he was genuinely hurt. And so he appreciated that Indiana wanted him, and he bought into Indiana. But part of that ability to transfer that emotion came from the fact that he had a little blanket a little piece of him from where he was coming from in Buddy Heald that allowed him a comfort level here and I get that you want to be able to continue that but he now has not one not two but three young players that I just mentioned that theoretically could rise with him Jimmy and the reality is that right now if they are a 38 to 45 win team and all of a sudden now as he's starting to become one of the highest paid players in the league on a supermax contract that kicks in for Tyrese Halliburton, if they put themselves now where they're a 50 to 52 win team, and he's doing it with three guys that are not only elevating their level of play, but young guys running with them, then that eventually is going, that's going to be his new comfort level. Does that make sense? Yes. There's two key things with where Tyrese Halliburton's headspace has to be in the event that Buddy Heald is traded. To your point, Jake, he is no longer the budding, flashy superstar in the making that is, oh, maybe he's going to be the next pacer. 
He's getting paid like that Correct. when that contract kicks in. Fair. He's no longer just a, like, I'm not going to get into the whole, oh, is it Miles' team? Is it, it is just as much Tyrese Halliburton's team as anybody on that roster. And it is his responsibility, the way that he's getting paid, to carry himself that way. Meaning that, yes, you're upset about it, but you would hope that with the trust the Pacers have put in you, you would then, to some extent, even if they decide to trade Buddy, put trust in the Pacers' the front office that they're going to replace him or they're going to find a good use of the cap space they are not using for Buddy Heald in the event he was traded because you want to soften that blow to some extent. Because I get it. Buddy Heald is a talented player. My other issue with all of this is if you were to give Buddy Heald a three-year contract of high dollar amounts, crazy NBA money as we know because the cap is always going up, fast forward three years from now, is Buddy Heald still a starter on this team in three years? I would argue potentially not. And if the answer is not, do you want that kind of money tied to a bench player? Right. Because it's a one-off kind of with Bruce Brown. He's a hybrid, right? You don't know how often he'll be in the starting lineup, how often he'll be your sixth man. You paid that premium once. Are you willing to do it again for Buddy Heald? That's short-sighted in my mind to do it if you're solely fearful that it might impact Tyrese Halliburton. If you're fearful that you can't replace him, which I don't think the Pacers are, then you need to do some more investigating and soul-searching as to how you want to build this roster. We have tickets to give away for Meekum Auction. We will do that. How many do we have to give away here, Eddie? Uh, we've got two four-packs to give away, but do we want to save one for a later day in the week, or we can do both today? It doesn't matter to me. Uh, we'll do one today. We'll do one tomorrow. How's that sound? Two three nine ten seventy for caller number. I'm just going to throw it out there because it's my favorite number. Caller number three. You are on your way to Meekum Auctions. We'll get you... Um, course that's where you can come out you can watch the you know every single exotic car whether it be rolls royces bentley's sports cars fabulous cars all i believe out at the indiana state fairgrounds tickets for the meekum auction do know when that is eddie october 5th uh 6th and 7th okay october 5th through the 7th meekum auction tickets to give away we'll come back we have one bit of colts news to get to you and we'll hand it off to john on the other side it is Corey and company here 93.5 the fan the Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a f- athlete. This is my f- way. This is how I win. Today's Plays of the Day, we're going to take Garrett Cole under two and a half earned runs tonight. He's on the mound for the Yankees. We're also going to take the Atlanta Braves over the Chicago Cubs. Eddie, this one is for you, even though I don't believe in jinxes. We're going to take the Cleveland Guardians to win today over the Cincinnati Reds. And then in soccer, give me Lionel Messi to score and Miami to win the U.S. Open Cup final this evening. Those are your plays. Eddie, you have anything? I do not. All right. I I have to admit, and I knew today that with Anthony Richardson returning to the practice field now officially listed as questionable but still in concussion protocol, or Ryan Kelly and DeForest Buckner, you know, Ryan Kelly – going through uh, practice today, but DeForest Buckner not being out there. I figured that would be the main talking points of conversation. I did not have on my bingo card number of innings for Garrett Cole or Cleveland Guardians. Did not anticipate those two things. Or now, what was the the Miami thing, Jimmy? Uh, Inter-Miami is in the Lamar Hunt U.S. Open Cup final tonight against Houston Dynamo. Uh, I took Messi to score and Miami to win. Who you got in that one, John? Oh, yeah. You got the dynamo in that one, do you? <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited. Hey, I love that play in right field by the Cubs, Suzuki, last night. I did, too. 
So just, huh? Oh, Guided that was awesome. calls off the center fielder and Bellinger, it. and then just goes. I loved just it. Misses. I also just want to know. I understand this is the wrong crowd for this. I want to apologize to Brendan King. I'm sorry. Most of you know why, if you understand. <laughs> By the way, Man, John, why are these people making fun of me here in the? Uh... They said you look like you know what you kind of do look like that one Karen though the famous one that who's the famous Karen there was the the kind of the the origin of the Karen term yeah came for the lady that I can't remember what the she had on the she had on like sunglasses and I think like a green sweatshirt and she was on her cell phone calling the police because there were like kids in her neighborhood that she was mad at she had a similar haircut to you which is more oh, really? a knock on her than you but <laughs> okay, i'm just I'm saying looking, i'm looking up right now at the camera now what she had a haircut like this kind of yeah yeah this is kind of like a 90s haircut that you I know, used to have this but with frosted tips you, you want to know who your haircut looks like and I, don't, you're, you might be offended here huh. uh you're one of three people certainly you're the only one in the room the, here the that's fat, the know fat dude in uh, teen wolf that one yes the guy he was also oh, in, yeah, he was Francis in, uh, and in the Pee Wee Herman stuff, and he was John Wayne Gacy. And, well, I didn't know he was Gacy. Yeah, he was also in. He was versatile actor. Is he what was you're in saying. Seinfeld. Hmm? He was in Seinfeld. Yeah, he, he yeah. was. He was yeah. part of the couple that also wanted to buy a bobcat. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Now, do I look like that? Because my hair looks like that, or because he has the same hair. You have, you yeah. have the same hair. We have the same shape, is what you're saying. <laughs> no, you have the same hair. Now he was also he was John Wayne Gacy in a film, which shows his versatility as an actor right there. <laughs> one, one minute you're stealing a guy's bike, and the next minute you're John Wayne Gacy. Yeah, that's, that's getting in the crawl space, right. burying people. Yeah, that's right. So, uh, what do you got coming up on the show here, John? Uh, Matt Gay is on the show oh, at the really? four o'clock hour, the AFC Special Teams Player of the Week. And remember when Shane Steichen guys said in the locker room post game Sunday that was a resilient win. Yep. Right. Uh, you look back at Matt Gay's career, and he's had a, a career of resilience, especially at the very beginning, which has culminated in the Super Bowl, and now here with five fifty yarders in the game. What a really unique background with Matt Gay at four o'clock. Today. His initial college, by the way, Utah Valley. I did not even, I wasn't even familiar with it until my cousin went there to play softball, and I'm like Utah Valley, and they're in either the WAC or the Mountain West. I think they're in the WAC, right? Well, they had a great basketball environment. Did you see Utah Valley? Well, State's that's basketball? where that's where Mark uh, Madsen Mark coach Madsen said, right? was the yeah. coach. Yeah, yeah. So, all right. So he's yep. at what time? Four, Four o'clock. o'clock, Matt Gay. All right, we'll hand off to John. Yep. Matt Gay in an hour. Thanks for listening, everybody.